Well, howdy, hello, friends. It's your absolute favorite horror movie review podcast and all the known multiverse. It's Dead and Lovely here with the host with the most. It's me, your good buddy, Uncle Ben. And come on in and sit down at the saloon. <laughs> Have yourself a sarsaparilla. Oh, a sarsaparilla. That sounds it's fun. Me. Hollywood Steve, <laughs> I've been all the way to the coast and back. Oh, for the gold rush, for huh? the gold rush. Wow, you don't mm-hmm. say. Do they got a crazy different way of living life out there? Yeah, they wear dungarees. <laughs> Levi pants. Yeah. Wow, that's really something else. How you doing this week, Steve? I'm good, man. Yeah? How you doing? I'm good. Golly, man, I'm, I'm plum tuckered out. I just you flew all the way back from Minnesota to Minneapolis. Uh-huh. Boy, are my arms tired. <laughs> Whoa. Were you just punching shit the whole way? I was punching stuff the whole way oh, and okay. playing that big old bass guitar. Boom, 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 boom. Making the daddy note. Daddy boom, note. boom, boom. Daddy note. How you doing, son? These boom, are the boom, notes boom, of boom, daddy boom, uses. Boom. I was playing some big old bass guitar notes yeah. with my good friends in the Hit Points, uh-huh. which is uh, the world's finest bluegrass video game themed cover band ever. Numero uno. Absolutely fucking fantastic dudes. Incredible hang. And we were playing at VGM Con yeah. in Minneapolis, How'd Minnesota. It was awesome. Was it awesome? It was so fun, man. Yeah. It was a great time. I'd never been to any kind of like video game con. Yeah, I haven't either. I've actually never been to any kind of con, con now that yeah. I think about it. Huh. <laughs> but it was, uh, it was a blast. It was a lot of fun, man. The people out there were very appreciative, incredibly knowledgeable about some video game music. I Holy imagine, yeah. Holy man. I mean, in depth to the point of insanity. Yeah. Saw some fans out there, some fans of the podcast, had some great conversations, chatting about some favorite horror flicks and stuff like that. Awesome. It was a damn good old time, and uh, man, that gig was really fun. That's awesome. That's some very challenging music. I Yeah, I could tell from the video you posted. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot going on in there. There's a lot going on. It's a Uh lot of music, what ain't normal. What ain't normal. No, (laughs) uh -uh. But it's really cool because like hearing... Those songs from classic games like, you know, Mario and Sonic and all that jazz, and even up to some of the newer ones that we do from like Pokemon and stuff like Uh that. When you hear them played on these acoustic instruments, it really makes you realize like, oh, this is just good music. Like, right. uh, Like my mother-in-law was was composed by someone using like with a a very like limited scope that they could work with and they still made it good. Still made it good. Yeah. Yeah. But a lot of times it was just hard to realize that when you're hearing it through yeah. these 8-bit MIDI just, yeah, samples. It's just MIDI samples, so it's a lot of bips and boops. Yeah, exactly. And somehow you get the Final Fantasy right. uh, 7 soundtrack from SNES. Or- Absolutely glorious. Yeah. PlayStation 1, actually. PlayStation 1. Nerd right. alert. Yeah, nerd. nerd. PS to Final Fantasy 7. hop on your chocobo and get the fuck out of here? <laughs> I got one of them gold chocobos. <laughs> I got that Knights of the Round. I'm packing heat. Hell yeah. Oh, oh man. Also, too, that inspired me to watch the playthrough of the Final Fantasy 7 remake. Yeah. Demo. It looks great. Holy fuck. It looks yeah. amazing. But even like my mother-in-law went and like checked out the Hit Points record on iTunes and oh, stuff. Cool. She's like, oh, this is really well, cool music. bluegrass. Yeah, yeah it's just grass, yeah. you know? But it's really cool, man. But dude, there's, uh, there's a soundtrack out there. From a game that I never played, was never into, but the uh, the fiddle player in the band, Eli Bishop, world's fastest clapper. Hell Look yeah. up that shit on okay. YouTube, by the way. Uh, pretty pretty insane stuff. But anyway, he's really into the soundtrack from this Yu-Gi-Oh game that uh-huh. was like for Game Boy. Okay. The soundtrack to it is nuts. Yeah. It's like crazy jazz fusion prog stuff. It's really bizarre. I recommend bizarre. looking up SNES Drunk on SNES Drunk. YouTube. Okay. Uh, SNES Drunk. Uh, he has some videos where he explores like a lot of the more obscure SNES uh, 
soundtracks that really? were amazing. Dang. Yeah, some stuff that was like, you know, exclusive Super Famicom stuff never came to America, but now is on ROMs wow. and stuff. Uh, I mean, who knows? That that, that dude might have even been out there. There's a lot of other YouTubers and stuff yeah. that were at the con that I got to, to hang out with and chat with, yeah, like Viking cool. Guitar, Smart Game Piano, 8-Bit awesome. Music Theory. Oh, yeah. 8-Bit Music Theory is really cool if you That's ever cool. checked out his I'll channel. check that out. Sure. Yeah, because he kind of gives you like, the theory and stuff behind the, uh, the music and everything that they were doing. I watch a soundtrack. lot of gaming stuff. Don't watch much music stuff. Yeah. Because <laughs> it's like people speaking uh, French. Another language. Yeah. yeah, where it's like, I kind of know <laughs> that word, I think. Was that... Did you do that octave? I know that one. I don't know like what it means in reference to other things. That's but like I when, get an idea when a dad and his kids sing the same note. Yeah. Hey. Oh. Yeah. Like is that. that it? That's it. That's awesome. Now I understand. Now you that. got it, man. That's wow, what it is. Music's not as Octave. complicated as I thought. Not bad. Yeah, the con was a lot of fun, man. I had That's a good cool. time, and it was good running into some uh, to some fans and stuff. Awesome. Of course, that also means I've had another week where I was just basically working my dick off all week trying to get ready for the show yeah so i, I watched next to nothing this week I, think, I also watched next to nothing yeah but uh i got some stuff i think about the only thing that i got into this week other than uh, our movie for today which is misery misery it's about this woman who's like she just doesn't want to spend any money and this guy keeps wanting her to spend money and she's yeah. just had enough no i'm i'm hoarding my money i'm keeping it to myself mm-hmm. misery I think about the only other thing that I watched is uh, Kate and I sat down and checked out the first episode of a series people have been recommending to me like crazy. Yeah. Which is The Righteous Gemstones. Hell, yeah. How'd you like that? Dude, I've only episode. watched the first episode yeah. and I think it's fucking awesome. Yes. It's a uh, great setup. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's also like definitely darker than I was expecting yeah, it to be. It's way darker than I expected. Yeah. Considering the, the people in it. Yeah, yeah, you got Kenny fucking Powers, John uh-huh. Goodman, America's yeah. Dad, Dan Connor. Yeah, it's it seems like, yeah, it's going to be goofier than it starts out as. But yeah. I think, you know, Eastbound and Down a lot of times. They in got kind of dark. The first season especially, like, you know, uh, it, it was way dark at times. And then, yeah, throughout the whole series got dark. I think, I think that's something that uh, Danny McBride really liked exploring is how there's still humor even in these really really dark grim moments Mm -hmm. yeah 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 for those of us who don't know it's about a family of like televangelists not Uh televangelists but like just big time mega church mega church people yeah in south carolina and all of their infighting and the inner politics that happen in churches Mm -hmm. and their communities and stuff it's uh it's been really cool so far actually filmed in south carolina oh no shit Mm -hmm. i mean it looks like it yeah damn dude Mm -hmm. yeah so we're definitely gonna watch through that i've been uh been enjoying that first episode. That's awesome. What have you been doing this week, Steve? Uh, I I didn't. I've been working on uh, my upcoming podcast. Yeah, we have a title for it. Can't reveal it yet until I release some sort of episode to get it on iTunes, so nobody can come in and steal it. That's right. That's Which, right. Uh, I don't think most of our listeners would do, but hey, we have listeners who constantly tell us they hate our political talk, so maybe they would want to hurt us. That's true. It could yeah. happen. Yeah. Anyway, so been working on that, uh, but. I was on the Sleeping Giant podcast. That's right. Uh, the episode just came out uh, on Sunday. I haven't had the chance to listen to it yet, man. Yeah. What did you guys do we'll on that show? About Brian Singer's X Men. Oh, okay. From so the two, very, the very two first one. thousand. Brian Singer, moral role model. <laughs> we do nice talk. Guy. We did talk about what Hollywood shit nice is. guy. <laughs> Why do they keep letting him make movies? Uh, he's not really getting that opportunity so much okay. anymore. He did get taken off his last project. And, oh, really? Yeah. Like, so, um, he's a, but seems it, to be he, a child fucker. It, it took a, to be a lot. A it's a, yeah. There are at least like 20 allegations against oh, him. It's, it's ridiculous. So, 
Anyway, but yeah, we, we, we talked a little bit about that, but mostly talked about fucking awesome-ass X-Men stuff, so right on. go check that out. Did you, uh, did you like the movie? It's been a long yeah, time since I watched good. it. it's still good. Yeah? It is. It's still good. It's, it holds up um, the... There are some effects that look a little... A little rubbery, huh? Rubbery, yeah. but it holds up. The story is very like straightforward. It's, it's set up in a way where if you don't know anything about the X-Men, you could watch the movie and get it. If you do know the X-Men, you watch the movie and you're not bored because there are these constant sort of things that you see that are like, oh man, that's so cool. Yeah. Cerebro. And then like all these other things. That, it's a good that casting you too. And the casting's perfect. Yeah. I mean, you got Hugh Jackman as Wolverine. Pretty good fucking start right yeah. there. And, and I didn't remember this, but he wasn't that jacked in the first one. He wasn't really, he was, was he? He was just like fit guy. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But now nah, he's, yeah. he's like fucking as wide as a barn door. He's yeah, gigantic. Yeah, that's why he gave up the role. He couldn't keep up the physique because it's, it's a lot. Same well, he's with like, Chris Evans. He's like 50-something yeah. now, man. He's not a young yeah. dude. So that's so got to be a lot of work, do. man. Bomka as Phoenix. Count me in. Yeah. And that... In that movie, she's already like 30 or 31. That's a handsome lady. She is That's a handsome lady. I'll tell yeah. you that, man. Mm-hmm. Cool, uh, man. Well, everybody be sure to go and check out Sleeping yeah, Giant. Yeah, check that out. I want to check that out. Uh, I also, I got a little bit of time to play some WWF No Mercy on uh, Nintendo uh-oh. 64. <laughs> and I, I was, I, I needed to do the women's title, but this is from 2000. So there's only like two good women wrestlers and then the rest are like, eh. So I was going to make one. <laughs> make a lady. Make a lady. Like weird science. I was, yeah, it was like that. I put a bra on my head and <laughs> that was just for fun. And I, I sat down to make Razor Ramona. Razor Ramona. Uh-huh. <laughs> oh boy. So you made a, a gender bender of our perennial yeah. favorite Razor yeah. Ramona. I just gave her all Scott the Hall. same moves as, Razor, uh, as, as Scott Hall from WCW and WWE. You got that Razor's Edge. And she got the Razor's Edge. Only in yeah. this case, it's a Bic Lady's Razor's Edge. Yeah. It's pink. <laughs> Yeah, because it's different. I did put her in pink and purple, but that wasn't actually like because she's a girl. It's because he had a pink and purple suit he wore all the time. Yeah, yeah. I think about the black and gold when I think about Razor. Black and gold is the one that whenever he he was with Kevin Nash, the the purple a lot. Yeah, the purple and he had the blue. Yeah, early on. That's right, man. Those were the cool ones to me. The 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 gold one is just like, eh, whatever. Was there a stat where you could max out how much alcohol is in her bloodstream during the matches? <laughs> how drunk she yeah. is at every match. <laughs> max it out. Floor yeah, that motherfucker. 100%. <laughs> Stumbling out to the ring. Yeah. Uh, accidentally really injuring people. Yeah. Ugh. But yeah, that, that, was, that was fun. So also, just Razor a little news for you. I... This was interesting to me. You know AJ Styles, the wrestler? I know of an AJ Styles. Uh... uh I, so he, he was declared by Professional Wrestling Illustrated the, the wrestler of the decade. Wow. Which makes sense. He dominated TNA. He dominated IWGP. He dominates currently WWE. picture of this fella here so I can get Please myself a visual. pull it up just because I'm sure what I I'm about him. to say will only make sense when you can see a picture of AJ Styles. And All that right. has been AJ Styles looks like wrestling Billy Ray Cyrus. I was literally about to say that. I was like, if he doesn't say he looks like Billy Ray Cyrus, that's what I'm jumping on, motherfucker. He looks like wrestling he Billy looks Ray Cyrus. Like, yeah, Billy Ray wrestling. Cy- I mean, look at that yeah. picture right there. I know. That's insane. He looks just it's like just, him. You expect him to start singing Old Town Road or something. Oh my God, dude. <laughs> I love AJ Styles. He's an amazing wrestler. 
and whatnot. It is totally punching up. Wrestler of the decade again. Man was champion in three different promotions. Like he's he's a badass, but he does look like Billy Ray Cyrus. Absolutely, he, he looks like exactly how his accent sounds. <laughs> Like, you know what he's going to sound like oh, yeah. before you hear him talk. Yeah. <laughs> That's really awesome, man. <laughs> you know, I did have time to listen to uh, a podcast or two this week, oh, and yeah? I recommended you check this oh, out, yeah. too. I found this really interesting. So, uh, I think that anybody that listens to the show knows that that we're fans of old Rhett and Link, Good uh-huh. Mythical yeah. Morning. Basically, the guys who created the fucking internet. Like, Yeah, they made YouTube. Yeah. YouTubers uh, a viable thing, yeah, basically. Yeah, absolutely so. And they've always put out, like, very... Very clean, family-friendly content uh-huh. and stuff. Yeah, I mean, they make some body jokes from time to time, but yeah. nothing too bad. No. Yeah. And they recently came under fire because I guess they uh, they revealed themselves to be atheists. Yep. And uh, they apparently got in a lot of hot water about mm-hmm. this from a lot of people, I guess. With their family-friendly audience. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And so on their podcast, which is called Ear Biscuits, uh-huh. They did it's basically like a four-part podcast so far about their history with growing up in, in the South. They're Southerners yeah. like us, so they grew up North very Carolina. conservative and religious, mm-hmm. like pretty much everybody down here yep. does, and how they uh, fell away from religion. Mm-hmm. And there's like two of them that are kind of setups that are about how the church and their career yeah, sort of worked hand like in hand. All the stuff they did in the church, and I, I was listening to it, and I was just like, yep. Yep, I've been there. Uh-huh. Totally, yeah. Because they just kind of started off doing the fun I, skits that weren't really church-related, right. but would get everybody in a good mood before church. Right. That kind of thing. I uh, I wasn't I wasn't doing fun skits, but I like felt the same thing they felt, where when you you uh, finally have an audience, yeah, and you're getting to perform, like you lean into the thing that you're performing. Yeah, totally. It doesn't. It doesn't hit, like, it didn't hit me at first that that was really what interested me in religion, was that people were listening to me. Because, like, I can talk and be charming, but when you don't have an audience, you don't realize that you need an audience. Right, It's not until you have that audience that you're like, oh, I need people to hear me talking. Well, a a stand-up comedian without a crowd is just a crazy guy talking to himself. Exactly, (laughs) The the crowd is what makes him (laughs) a performer. So, yeah, like, yeah, it wasn't until I realized, like, oh, you can go to open mic nights and all these other things. There are so many ways that you can have an audience that don't involve also, like, supporting stuff you don't believe in. Yeah. Yeah. But the the two setup episodes were about their, their career, and then... They each get an episode devoted to their kind of history and yeah. falling away from it. And Rhett's is first, and then Link's is second. Yeah, uh, I've just listened to Rhett's. I've not gotten to Link's yet, but man, it's a, it's a really, really cool listen. It honestly, is. and it's very relatable. If you extremely if relatable, yeah, I'd, I'd supremely. say most people from the South have gone through similar stuff. Oh yeah, really. yeah, yeah. And, and I feel like even if you grew up around it, but did not, you know, fall away. From uh, from sure. the faith, you still relate to it. Yeah, yeah, you could probably still listen to that and be like, "I've had struggles like this too." It's just yeah. that this guy chose a different outcome for right. me, and it's not at all like a fucking church burning like oh no hate speech about religion. No, they in fact talk. They they thank a whole lot of people and are very oh, yeah. like talk highly of a whole lot of stuff that happened and a whole lot of people that were in their lives. But they're also really realistic about it yeah. and realize that while they was straight white males were having a good time. There were a lot, a lot of, of people, people that were around. having a lot of a lot worse time. Oh yeah. Yeah. But what I really liked about it too, and, and again I've not gotten to links yet, but I imagine it's probably gonna follow suit. Yeah. But like I like that Rhett really stressed how much of a a struggle this was for him to let this go. Yeah. It's like this is the thing he's chased his whole life. Uh-huh. 
He has based his career. He was going to be like a pastor and stuff. Right. He had based so much of his career on this. He and his wife were raising his kids with this. This is what his relationship with his wife was started with, you yeah. know? And I like that it wasn't just this thing where like, I, I don't know, I think especially to a lot of people here in the South, whenever you identify as somebody that, yeah, I grew up being religious, but now I'm, I'm not anymore. Yeah. A lot of times it's easy for people to look at you and be like, oh, he just wanted to drink mm. beer and say bad words and cuss you and be a You can do that heathen. in the South and still be religious. Yeah, most of the religious people yeah. I know do, yeah. you know? Uh, but I like that it really painted this picture of, no, this was a real struggle mm -hmm. to let this go. It's not an easy thing just to right. be like, oh, I'm going to be a heathen now so I can do heathen things. Yeah, yeah that's not just Baptists and, and Southerners. I mean, that Mormons too. I'm Mormons, sure. they, they, they set up the narrative that everyone who leaves the church wants to leave to sin. Right, And that yeah. everyone who uh, leaves the church immediately starts attacking the church. So don't listen to what they have to say because they're really just attacking the church. Right. Yeah, it's it's the same. Every religion definitely is the same. It seems they all uh, boil down to trying to control others and uh, not really being able to. And eventually, it ends in wars and deaths and genocides. And there's no good stuff. Outcome. Jesus wouldn't do. Yeah, there's no good <laughs> outcome to organized religion ever. It just hasn't From ever. My at least we haven't seen it. Yeah, 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 so far, yeah. yeah. I, that's weird. Communism fails. Like, we, you know, America attacks it and destroys it and uh, uh, rots it from the inside. But yeah, communism has failed in every attempt, and people will say, you can't do communism. It fails all the time. But nobody ever says, can't do religion. It's a constant failure. <laughs> it always ends with people dying somewhere yep, in there. Constant failure. Huh. So we're going to give up on that. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's kind of funny, but also not funny. Not funny at, at all. all. That, I mean, they would say the same. They would get rid of religion if people actually like preached the stuff Jesus preached because they'd be like, what's all this communist bullshit? Right. Yeah. <laughs> give, give stuff away? You ain't supposed Why? to do that. It's mine. The Bible says to kill gay people and says if you beat your slave and he don't die, it's okay. It's all right. Yeah. Those are the Bible words. <laughs> I'm glad you enjoyed the podcast and yeah. stuff too, man. I, I think it's really fascinating. I can't wait to get into links. Did you listen to links already too? No, I, I've only listened to the setup episodes. I haven't gotten direct. Oh, yeah. oh yeah. You'll, you'll definitely really enjoy it and probably relate to it a ton. So yeah. give those a listen. They're, they're not like super recent. They're from a couple months ago. Yeah. Things like episode 240, 250, something Somewhere like that of their there, show. Yeah. But yeah, you'll find them. Give them a listen. I think that whether you are a religious person or not, I think that you'll find something in there you can relate to. Oh yeah, for sure. Very good listen, man. Did you guys do anything cool for the streaming chat this week? Uh, yeah, we watched Children of the Corn. I mean, that's not really that cool. It's not yeah, a very good not movie. Good. <laughs> no, it's not very good. No. Uh, but it's... Um, it uh, it's interesting, yeah, for sure. You got some weird ass looking kids. Uh, you got the debate about like uh, uh, whether or not they should have a kid, and somehow through all this, they decide, yeah, we should. It's been forever since I watched it, that it movie. Just, I don't remember yeah, that aspect the, at all. The whole story is stupid. I just didn't like it at all. It has some cool parts though. The opening scene in the cafe is fucking awesome. Okay, scared the shit out of me as a kid, and the the stuff in coming from the corn like that whatever that is behind the rows sometimes the way they portray it is is cool and then sometimes it looks terrible <laughs> yeah <laughs> I, I, yeah it's not great i mean but uh it was a fun time 
And a, a lot of people stopped by. There were more people there now oh, that we're scheduling it. Yeah, schedule that thing. Yeah. Go ahead and tell them about it in case the people yeah, listening so don't know about it. The uh, the streaming chat has changed. Here's what happened. is it, it I got gaslit into oh, believing no. that I started it so we could watch terrible movies. Oh, no. But that wasn't what we started it for, Ben. We started it to watch movies we probably wouldn't do on the show. Oh, got it. They didn't have ah, to be bad. That's true. They just had to be obscure or shows or mo- movies that really wouldn't bring in the listens. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so, and for some reason, over time, that turned into Torture Steve with the worst movie ever <laughs> shot on VHS. <laughs> Uh, and so we've stopped maybe that. Maybe that got old. Maybe yeah, that got a little old. we've stopped that, and now the movies are scheduled. We only do one movie on the Friday nights. Uh, we, we're we doing better movies. Still not going to be watching The Shining material. or anything, yeah, yeah, yeah. but it's it's better movies, and they're more fun to watch and make fun of. Right on. Because just get a good if the movie out. is just fucking terrible, what's the use of making fun of it? It's like when you watch the episodes of uh, Mystery Science Theater 3000 where they cover a movie that's just so bad that even them talking about it doesn't get you through the movie. Yeah. Like, there are episodes of Mystery Science Theater 3000 I've never finished because the movie was so bad. It doesn't matter they're being entertaining. Just so fucking bad. And anybody can join in on the Discord. Oh, yeah. Anybody can join in on the Discord. We, we, uh, all the movies that we watch are uh, on YouTube. And so we stream them on this service called Watch Together so we can all. stay on the same you know uh timestamp, and uh we we chat on discord and it's a fun time well join on up y'all a lot of people in there getting drunk oh yeah yeah not me though getting a pull yeah i was not getting a pull i was getting a watch children of the corn and go boy this is really bad i hope they don't remake it so we don't have to cover it on the show oh yeah but you they know probably that's gonna will. happen they you know did remake happen. it apparently in 2004 what yeah, on like sci-fi or something. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, you I, know I what? didn't know about that. Speaking of pulls, I think I'd like to get I me one. I would love to like get to a get pull. Me a pull. Hell yeah. I, you know what? I'd like to get a pull of a beer that's so good that a scientist himself chose it for <laughs> us to consume. A scientist. A scientist. In fact, this is one that was sent in to us from our very own Captain Adam Spaulding. That's the one. Captain scientist Spaulding. Spaulding. He sent us a couple scientist of code beers. That's really his name tag says. I wish scientists went by scientist whatever. Pretty good yeah, name. That would be great. He sent us a couple of code beers from Wild Leap Brewing Company. This is out of LaGrange, Georgia. peanut. And he said that these are some super badass, award-winning, fucking awesome brews. I'm, I'm excited. very excited to try these. Every time somebody sends us some uh, some co beers from the hometown, yeah, I just get plum tickled. Me too, because I love trying the beers that you can't get here in the Tennessee. And this one's not that far away. Lagrange is not that far away from here. But Maybe we go there I'm and storm be, the gate. I'm not going to be going to Lagrange anytime soon. <laughs> nope. So we very much appreciate you sending us. These co beers. Now, this first one that we're cracking open here is a Wild Leap Brewing Company Truck Chaser. It is a creamsicle double IPA, 8.1 ABV. I've opened up the can. It's a foot and a half away from my face, and I can already smell it. Yeah, I can it. smell creamsicle. And it smells absolutely fantastic. Mm-hmm. I can already tell you I'm going to like this guy. It's very light. Yeah. And yeah, creamy. Uh-huh. Got a little foamy head going on here. Got That's that, what she said. that fresh squoze orange juice kind of look about it. 
typical of a lot of beers that you and I tend yeah, to enjoy. That's true. I have a feeling I'm going to like this a lot. Fresh Gosh, that smells woes. great, man. So you've still been like uh, laying off a lot of booze in, huh? Yeah. Yeah. The pro move. Is it great? Oh, my goodness gracious. I've stopped weighing myself because I'm at this point where I just don't care. Yeah. Like, because I, I look good and I will continue to lose weight as I continue to yeah. diet. So what does it matter? Fucking like, what the number it, is? man. Dude, this beer is about to blow yo dick apart. <gasps> Holy shit, that is good. That's a creamsicle. Yeah. That's a perfect creamsicle. Uh-huh. That is wild. It's absolutely wow. rich and creamy and sweet, but not overly so. Mm. And the orange and the vanilla are so present. It's that not a so background good. flavor at no. all. But it's still got like a hoppy, funky, fermented flavor to That's it. really good. Too, you know? Dude, mm. that is insane. That's awesome, Adam. Yeah. Good call, man. Also, I cannot believe that's 8.1%. Seriously, that is it's so... It's so smooth. Yeah, that's something that I would be worried if there were a child around, they might accidentally get a hold of it. Because oh, and love it. Yeah. It's really good. Get them kids drunk. Hell yeah. Dude, fuck, that is awesome. I would drink 100 of that if I had it yeah, for sure. on hand. Mm -hmm. Wow. That's okay. really good. That makes me really stoked to try the next one, too. Yeah, me too. Wow. Yeah, thanks a ton. If you guys got some co-beers from your county you want sent yeah. our way, be sure to drop us an email. We have email. a whole lot just sitting there waiting on us. Dude, the fridge yeah. is so stocked full of stuff right now, too. But we had... will take more. Oh, I have yeah. a fridge at home as well. That's right. That's <laughs> right. We got to stock that thing up with some burrs for the show. So thank you guys so much, because buying good beer, it's not cheap. No, it's not. It is definitely not. No. Man. Wow, that's good. Now, Steve, the subject of our show today mm -hmm. is none other than misery. <laughs> I was going to sing Elliot Smith's Miss Misery. Oh, yeah? But then when you said that, it well, reminded asylum. me of Soul Asylum, and my, my brain went... <laughs> <laughs> which, of course, is a tale about a woman which just plumb obsessed with James Caan. Yeah. She is obsessed. That James Caan. He's pretty likable. Right? Pretty lokable guy. <laughs> pretty likable dude. And that just kind of reminded us of the fact that we, through our own lives, have had our own list yeah. of obsessions. Mm -hmm. So, Steve, I say before we uh, start the movie review portion of the show, how about we just take a little detour? Let's just mosey on into the preview palace. Well, you're welcome to the preview palace. <laughs> it's a little different. Yeah. And let's just talk about some of the obsessions that have rocked us throughout our lifetimes. Now, I'll tell you this, dude. This is one of those things that I don't even know if I could possibly narrow down mm -hmm. because all that I do is obsess about everything. Yeah, I have yeah. been this way my entire life. I, if, I am similar. Dude, I will get just focused on something for a period and that's all I'll think that's about. That's all that yeah. there is. Yeah. I have been that way my entire life. I don't like something. Mm -hmm. I become completely devoted to it and obsessed with it yeah. for varying periods of time. Uh, and that's just that's just it. Yeah, it's always been that way with me. I'm, yeah. I'm very uh, very focused in that way, which I think is good and very bad at times. Yes, it can be very bad. <laughs> I should never do smack ever. <laughs> Probably not for many reasons. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, dude, it's like I could go on at length. Yeah, I'm talking for hours talking about my obsessions, but I've tried to kind of lump them into just a few little categories of. At least some of the more entertaining ones. Yeah. Whenever we're talking about obsessions, what's the first thing that comes to mind for yourself when you think about something you've been just absolutely nuts about? Well, okay. This is... Okay, so... I am an obsessive researcher. Yeah. And... Perfect for a podcast. Perfect for a podcast. 
I I obsessed over several different subjects while researching, but the one that I like just found myself constantly going back to was uh, monsters. Yeah, researching monsters. I, I like everything. I would find some connection back to monsters. Like every single paper I would write would find some connection back to it, and I would always just be going back to it. And then. And uh, now I co-host a horror movie podcast where I use that information <laughs> all the fucking totally, time. Totally, yeah. yeah. So that that's one of the few instances in my life where I've obsessed over something for that was that was three to four years of obsession. Just yeah, yeah. In the library constantly wow. because this was like grad school in my senior year and like just really obsessing over that and really just trying to find every bit of information I can about it and it it. It's the one time in my life that that's really, really paid off. How do you think that started? Is it because you watched a lot of horror flicks as a yeah. kid or what? Yeah, and, and um, really the simplest definition of a monster is the, the thing in between two things. So yeah, yeah, like the illogical. The, the illogical, yeah. yeah. So like that's something I'd always been obsessed with was like, what, like definition and differentiation and yeah, how yeah. two things can be different but then sh share qualities like a zombie is a living dead person yeah yeah exactly. it's a contradictory illogical thing yeah. so our brains can't comprehend yeah it. so those things like had always been obsessions of mine and horror movies and then i start reading about monsters and i'm like oh shit that's what this is that's yeah, what yeah. i've been obsessed with in the horror movies and things is this that contradictory like binary like just fusion duality that, yeah. yeah this constant like separation and fusion where like they they're inseparable but also separate and yeah i i just became so obsessed with it and and still i am still work in that area uh and still think about that stuff and read about that stuff all the time nice man yeah. Yeah, I know what you mean, because I also went through some very big phases with mm -hmm. that stuff as well. Uh, I think with me, it, it usually started with like mythology, because mm -hmm. uh, I love learning about uh, yeah. Viking mythology yes. and um, Egyptian mythology. Uh -huh. I remember we did some stuff in school where we studied a bunch of stuff about Egyptian mythology. That's cool. And it's just so badass. Greek mythology, yeah. all of those I really got into uh, through an avenue that I'll, I'll talk about later as we go here, too. Actually, a couple different avenues, I think, led to that. But, you know, the first thing that I started thinking about as far as my highly, ridiculously obsessive nature with everything that I do, I've always been hyper-focused and obsessed with thinking about whatever my, my job is going to be. And I don't know if that was one of those things where early mm. on I started thinking about your job as being tied to your persona or right. your self-worth or whatever. Uh -huh. I don't know. But whenever I was like a little tiny kid yeah. is when this started. And it's like... It seems like about everybody went through that phase where they're like, I want to be an astronaut. No, I want to be a race car driver. I want to be a scientist. I want to be a vet. Yeah. I've only really had like three things that I've ever wanted to do, and they mm. have become hyper mega focused my entire life. So like when I was a baby, uh, our house was like to the back of this uh, big open field where there'd be like farmers working and stuff, you know? Yeah. It was owned by this guy named Mr. Moe. Oh, no. And I'd go out there and I'd watch Mr. Moe on his tractor. Mr. Moe Mo. tractor. And dude, it's like my mom would tell me that like the minute I heard that thing start up from like, you know, a mile away oh, or whatever. One of those kids. I like tractor run. kids. Yeah, dude. Absolutely. And I had like I don't a couple understand tractors. That. I, don't, I, I don't either. I have no interest uh, in that at all. One it's of just my what was there. Is, is like that. He yeah, dude. loves big like fire engines and stuff like yep. that. Yeah. I was totally one of those fucking tractor huh. kids. So I would go out there and obsessively watch every time he was out there working. Yeah. 
And I apparently wanted to do that up until I was about maybe four or five. Probably a good change. I think so. Yeah. I don't think that kind of work is uh, cut out for me. Or rather, I don't think I'm cut out for that kind of work. Yeah. <laughs> I couldn't oh, do it. Yeah. No way. And that's when I started getting really into comic books. Oh, okay. Because for a big chunk of my life, uh, that's what I wanted to do is be a comic book artist. Right. So I spent years upon years upon years upon years reading every comic I could uh, bring into the house, because of course there's a lot of stuff I was not allowed to bring into the house. Yeah. But everything that I could, that was comics code approved, mm-hmm. I would get in there and I would obsessively draw my own comic book characters and make them up. And Yeah, I used to do that too. Dude. I had a character called Golden Hooters. Golden what? Hooters. Golden Hooters? Yeah, he had big gold tits. <laughs> I also had a character named Evil Bunny Man, which kind of got destroyed by Donnie Darko. Oh, yeah? Yeah, because oh, like man. my character was... Fucking took it. He didn't look evil. It was a rabbit that was evil. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> and then Donnie Darko comes along, steals Evil Bunny Man. Oh, man. Yeah. Took your dreams. <laughs> so I got really into that, and I just, dude, for years and years and years, that's all that I did is draw superheroes. Yeah. Exclusively. Yeah. That's all that I, I did. I was not a good artist. I was more on the creative side. I would come up with tons and tons of characters. Yeah. And so, like, because I couldn't draw them, I just started making my own wizard listings of comic books with, like, oh, shit. guest star character names. Oh, my God. That's yeah. awesome, man. Yeah. That's really cool. And then, you know, around when I was 15 or 16 is when I started playing guitar. And that's when the music obsession began. Oh, and okay. it was, and I can only do one thing at a time. And that ended like last year. Yeah, I'm pretty much it. done with that yeah. now. <laughs> no, dude, like I can only really focus on one thing at a time. So it's yeah. like whenever I decided like, oh, I'm going to play guitar. It's like I quit playing video games. I quit reading comics. I basically huh. quit doing art. I mean, I do art I on do, occasion and I went to college for art. But I like do I went from drawing. That same. Yeah. Like because it is hard for me because like. I will say like, oh, I'm just gonna play this video game for a little bit, and then I oh, and then I open up Minecraft and start a new world, and like, well, I gotta open up the whole map, so I yep. gotta discover. Well, now I gotta build. Well, like, I mean, there should be a castle here. Like, and now it's eight hours later, and I'm still playing Minecraft. Yeah, dude. Yeah, yeah. I'm the same way. But I mean, I went from like drawing and doing art every day to just like, and now I don't do that because yeah. I play guitar. So those have been my really my only career goals really, ever. Mean, I've never wanted to do anything else other than those three things. I think for a lot of people, it really does ha- come down to just choosing something. Like yeah. here, uh, a lot Harris of people Whittle, just end up in something. Yeah, Harris Whittles used to have this joke where he's not impressed by juggling because anybody could learn to juggle. Basically, I guess so. Right? Yeah. Like anybody with two hands could essentially learn to juggle, and you could get better at it by continually practicing. Uh, and it's just what you choose to put your time into. You could have become the world's greatest juggler. Or farmer. Or farmer. Yeah. But you put your time into music, which was probably the better move. <laughs> like, I think so, maybe. Like, a lot of, a lot, I, I think for some people, there's like a, a, just a depth of potentiality that could be put into so many different avenues. Yeah. That you just have to choose one eventually. You just have to pick one and say, that's it. Even though I know I could be really great at all these other things. Yeah. I'm, I, this is the thing I'm going to be great at. Totally, man. Yeah. yeah. Well, I think what it all comes down to as well is like, I, I'm i such a non-believer in talent. Yeah. And, and one of the... Yeah, it's developed. I mean, yeah. yeah. Like they, I think people have potentialities maybe above others where, and that has to do with intelligence. Yeah, just, and it's what you're supposed to do when you're like an infant. 
Right. You know? Exactly. There's so much that comes from, yeah, just not, like, even just proper nutrition and things. As yeah, no doubt. Develop the, the brain. Yeah, like, so... So many different factors there, but yeah, there's, there's, yeah, nobody was like Tony Hawk wasn't born good at skateboarding. Yeah. He was born with the potentiality to be good at skateboarding, just like most people probably are. Right. But he really put his effort into Effort it. is the word. I'm yeah. so glad that you used that because I was even talking last month with one of the vocals, uh, vocalists that was honest with Shiprock. Yeah. And this guy was a fucking badass. He was so good. And I was like, dude, your vocals are incredible. I was like, how do you even develop that? And he's like, ah. Oh, He's like, I don't know, man. He's like, all these other singers, like, they get up there and they make it look effortless, like they're not even trying. He's like, no, I'm trying really hard. Yeah, put a whole lot of stuff Yeah, he's like, this. I don't have talent. I have effort. Mm-hmm. And I was like, damn it. That's exactly how you sum yeah. it up. You but just because I was, choose. I was just putting in as much effort as possible. Yeah. Playing fucking 10 hours a day. Yeah. You know, just again, obsession, man. Yeah. What's I, another one for you other than my fucking crazy job right. focus? Uh, I mean, I'm just going to say the general video games. Video games, yeah. I want to tell a particular time that uh, it actually just makes me look bad. (laughs) I got so obsessed with Call of Duty Modern Warfare. Oh my God, yeah. And then Call of Duty Modern Warfare 2. I, I think for about six months, it's all I did. Yeah. And I would, it was like just enraging at times and engrossing and my entire life was about it and there were so many like things that were constantly making me irritated and whatnot and it it was just encompassing my whole life and I remember one time I had my Xbox 360 set on this little stand and my wife came over to uh, like say goodbye before she went to work and she accidentally bumped it Oh, and it oh. made the the disc, disc skip. wobble. Yeah, and it the laser in oh, an Xbox yeah. 360 he the used laser to do like that. digs into it uh-huh. somehow. Yeah, I forgot about that. And I remember freaking out so much about it, not like yelling at her, but just being like so like worried, like what am I gonna do? Yeah, yeah. And then like her being like, uh, well, I, I'm you know leaving, and me like obsessively like trying to figure out what to do, and finally figuring out what to do, and like telling her like don't worry i can get it fixed and seeing the look on her face like i don't care yeah and me realizing like what i just seriously obsessed like the only thing i could think about was if this game is not functional i'll have to buy another one because what the hell else could i do yeah i couldn't not play this game yeah and it really hit me and it was just like oh Fuck. I've gone too far. This is not fun, even. <laughs> it's not even fun anymore. I'm just obsessed with playing this game. So, like, yeah, I, I don't, I don't play those type of games anymore. Because yeah, I know, I know the potentiality. That's the thing, like, though. I is like easily fall into that. Unlike me, you have that on-off switch where you can just be like, yeah. "I'm not going near that." I can just turn off the switch and say, yeah. "I don't do this anymore." Nope, not mine anymore. You've always been that way, though. Man. Yeah. Well, it's it. I, it is a cool thing to have, but it's also, uh, like, I, I am so, it's so easy for me to fall into something yeah. that it's lucky that I have that. Otherwise, I'd just be on pills somewhere. Hell, it makes me yeah. scared. You might quit me one day. No, I can't quit you. <laughs> I'll tell you one thing I couldn't quit when I was a kid is being obsessed with my, my toys. Yeah. And this is one of those Which things that. particular? Okay, yeah. So this yeah. is one of those things that goes in phases throughout my, my entire life. You know, because it's like currently I would call things like my guitars and pedals and stuff my toys. Right. You know what I mean? 
one of the first things I got really turbo focused on is monster in my pocket. Oh, yes. But again, that's also kind of what tied me into the mythology and the monsters and yeah. stuff is because they came with those cool little sheets that would give you some information yes. about yeah, Baba yeah. Yaga uh-huh. or the Hydra or whatever. That was cool stuff. I remember yeah. as a kid because like, it was the stuff that like your parents wouldn't tell you, so it seemed like, oh, there must be something to it. Totally. Yeah. Totally, man. And it was all stuff from mythology around the world or yeah. like classic literature like uh-huh. Frankenstein and stuff uh-huh. like that. So I got really into those, but for those of you guys who don't know, they were just these little rubber plastic figurines yeah they weren't they were small they were you know maybe an inch tall inch and a half tall something like that they were just molded plastic they weren't even like movable or opposable or articulated there were a lot of toys around that time like the one inch sort of figurines that were like the muscle men yeah the muscle men yeah those were really popular Uh totally man but i got into those and like there was i want to say like four different colors Mm -hmm. it was like purple and red and maybe like green and blue or something like that and for some reason, in my mind, I had to have, like, every color of all of them. That makes sense. But they'd yeah. come in, like, a grab bag where you just get, like, a, a sealed box of 20. Right. And you'd open it up and be like, oh, I've already got that one. I've already got uh-huh. that one. The idea being you trade them with your friends. But, of course, I did not have any friends that were into this. So well, I just okay, hoarded them. Okay, me and my cousins were the same. Yeah. We had those. But, like, who do you, who do you trade them with? Each other? But <laughs> then we're all going to play with them. Yeah. Yeah, so... I got turbo into those when I was a kid. I also remember being madly obsessed with Swamp Thing for no apparent reason. So did you watch the Swamp Thing movie as a kid? No. Oh, we should do that on here. Totally, right? Fuck yeah. It made no sense. I didn't read the comics. Yeah. I watched the That's cartoon TV show. You remember the cartoon TV yes, show? Yes, I remember the cartoon TV show. It had that like, the intro song sounded like Wild Thing, only <laughs> it was Swamp Thing. <laughs> Swamp Thing. You are amazing. <laughs> so done. They said, you make everything nasty. <laughs> <laughs> Why? Why was there such a push when we were kids for boys to like gross shit? Yeah, nasty. Remember the creepy colors? <laughs> yeah. Like, I remember do. being gross the fuck out. Like, I don't want to eat a bug. No. Ew. I didn't. I also, I was not. I did not fit the mold of 80s boy. In like, a lot of ways, I didn't I like didn't, for no. my hands to get dirty. Yeah, same. At all. No. Ever. A sock and bopper seemed like a lot too much work to me. Yeah. It seemed too much like sports. I'm like, no. <laughs> I did like beating the hell out of each other. That oh, actually, yeah. I did like. But dude, even back in the day, my Swamp Thing obsession just ran to such levels that like my childhood best bud, Patrick Brooks, uh-huh. he and I were friends in like kindergarten and first grade and a little bit beyond that. And then we fell out of touch for like, 20 something years yeah and even i think it was maybe about two years ago i got back in touch with him on facebook just like dude are you patrick brooks and he's like yeah are you ben eller and i was like dude holy cow it's been so long since we talked and all that stuff like literally one of the first things he asked is like dude are you still really into swamp thing <laughs> but the funny thing is to me is like by that point i had forgotten that i got obsessed with swamp thing because i get obsessed with so many things that that was just one on the list only way I saw that happening was him on the other like you you get that message then it cuts to him on the other end we see his room swamp thing everything it's like a museum of swamp thing (laughs) so are you still in swamp thing I'm like no not really he's like oh okay yeah not a big deal that's cool me neither I mean that stuff was really lame you know what I mean uh you, you just get into weird stuff when you're a kid and then after the action figure phase, the video game phase started. Yeah. And that's when things reached absolutely dizzying heights of obsession. 
Uh, I'm sure, dude, like, if I was a kid now, mm -hmm. I know that they would be like, okay, he's in the in the autism spectrum. Yeah. Because I would just go absolutely batshit insane about one particular thing. Yeah. For no reason. So, like, I even remember getting one of the early issues of Nintendo Power, mm -hmm. and it had Guile from Street Fighter on the yeah. cover of it. And again, I say I'm past this as if I didn't just get back from playing at a video game convention. <laughs> no, but, you've moved on. Yeah my, yeah. my drugs just synthesize into other drugs. That's what happens. <laughs> but dude, it's like it had this whole feature in there about Street Fighter 2. I didn't even have a Super Nintendo at this time. Oh, okay. But it had this whole cover feature about that game that I'd never even played. I just decided from looking at the pictures and reading their views, like, this game's fucking sick. Must be. I obsessively read that magazine cover to cover, everything that was in it about Street Fighter 2, mm -hmm. to the point of where, like, whenever I actually got to play the game for the first time at my friend Shannon's house, her yeah. older brother had it, and I clearly remember being like, oh my god, your brother has Street Fighter 2, we have to play it. I already had all the moves list for all the characters memorized when I played the game yeah. for the first time. They're like, how do you know all the moves? I was like, oh, I read it. I just read it. Yeah. Because I would just read all this shit about video games I'd same. never even played and memorize it. Yeah, I would do, I would do the same. And I... I had a similar. Why? Why did I think this would be important? Very similar story with Street Fighter Two, where yeah. I hadn't. Uh, yeah, it was Nintendo Power that told me about it. I had not played it, and then finally played it, and yeah, I was already doing the moves because. And your friends are like, "How do you jump?" <laughs> it's like, "What do you mean? How do you jump? Haven't you studied this for six months?" Yeah, and to me, it was totally normal. Yeah. Like I was just like, "Well, why wouldn't you want to be ready for the big fight?" <laughs> <laughs> Gosh, you're okay. Did this happen to you? Because like there was the Street Fighter Two thing, and then I remember when Tekken got real big. Oh, that was a hyper obsession through my teens too. I hated. Tekken. I had everybody, I hated dude. It. I had everybody's ten hit combos memorized. Oh god, all of them. I hated that game so much because, and I thought it was gonna be Street Fighter. I started yeah. playing it, and I was like. This looks stupid. It's a memorizational it's like, yeah. monster. And dude. then like, oh, it's just all memory. Fuck this game. That's what got me going with it. Yeah, you just love that. Yeah. And I mean, dude, right. the, the, the moves lists and Tekken and combo lists and stuff are extremely extensive. Yeah. I mean, there's fucking Wei Lu, uh, what's his name? Lei Wulan has like four different fighting styles. <sighs> He's one character. <sighs> and I memorized all that shit. <laughs> it's ridiculous. Yeah. Tekken's so, a boo. I love it. Yeah. Absolutely nuts for it. I still bust it out and play it every now and then to remember certain things. So, Ben. There's here's here's my last thing okay. that I'm just have always been obsessed with women. Oh yeah, the woman. Yeah. yeah, I've always been obsessed Love with girls and women. I I would uh, whenever I was little, apparently, I would come into the room so that my mom's friends would all tell me how cute I was, and then I would say, "No, I'm not." And then I'd oh, run you out. Oh, you fishing? You fishing? And then dude. I'd come back a little bit later oh, for yeah. some more compliments. Yeah, like I've always had this just obsession with women. Wow. Like I, I wanted to be friends with girls in school, and I remember like in kindergarten, boys being like, "No, you don't hang out with girls. Let's go play football," and it would be like. I don't know, like, these girls are just chilling and being pretty. <laughs> like, Dude, that's the thing, is, like, as a kid, I didn't have a lot of friends, but I always really enjoyed hanging out with girls whenever I could, because yeah. it's like, oh, they want to, like, hang out and, like, talk about stuff. Yeah, which And is not what just I go around doing. and, like, pull cats by the tails and yes, shit like this. stuff I didn't like doing. No, other yeah. boys my age, I was like, these guys are fucking cavemen. Yes. Don't so, you just hang out? Didn't want to do it. No, uh, I'm so, with you. Yeah. So then, yeah, when later, when... Hey, I started 
recognizing like, oh, also hormones. I would like to have sex, I think. <laughs> With a lady. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so that's, yeah, that's when, like I've said so many times, all the different crushes I had growing up, like Alyssa Milano and uh, Dan- Daniel Harris from the yeah, uh, Halloween, Halloween and stuff, 4 and right. 5. And yeah, like just so many crushes growing up, like constantly obsessing about particular women and then like in my 20s having that same sort of thing but you know more subdued you get older you get more like i can maintain in public i can't i can't just run up to girls and be like you're so pretty (laughs) which is what i want to do yeah yeah (laughs) so yeah it's it's been an obsession my whole life though where it's just like i women like i like being around around women like looking at women i prefer the company of women yeah. to men generally. I mean, yeah, you know. Well, you like me is because I'm fun. so I'm so pretty. That's you can true. Halfway pretend <laughs> I'm a lady. Yeah, from behind. Especially like, from behind. Yeah, right. What's the diff? <laughs> Heard that, well, man. Hot legging. <laughs> well, hot legging action. It's easy to lose yourself in that. There you, go. <laughs> you know, I just want to close this out by talking about my current obsessions. Because like I said, I'm always oh, yeah. I've got some too. Oh mm. man. I'm just always going through these phases. And it's like I can tell with like my friends and stuff when I tell them about some band they should check out, they kind of look at me and they go, oh, okay, because they know it's just what I'm turbo obsessed with right, right now. Yeah. It might not mm-hmm. even be that good, that but it's true. what I'm hyper addicted to. That It is true that if something comes to your mind, you immediately oh, are just like, yeah, we should do that. And like, I'm evangelical about it. I remember and it has the, to be done right now. I remember the one time... Uh, you were like, dude, you haven't seen the River Wild? We should do, we should that, do that on, on the, the show. show. <laughs> it's like, why? It's like, wait, why? <laughs> it's stuff that's not that important at all. But I just become so fixated. Yeah, I, I mean, it. I think that that can be harnessed for good. But oh, a lot totally. of times it's just fucking pointless. And oh, I yeah. don't know why I go nuts about stuff. Yeah, but it's like, it's not like irritating or anything. Yeah. It's not like a negative. Well, I'm going to say one that might kind of be positive, but probably is irritating oh, okay. at times too. Uh, currently, it's, it's going to the gym and fucking getting in there and yeah. working up. That's a sweat what I was gonna say. That is one of my current obsessions and thing yeah. uh, that like now I like even when we're planning, I'll be like I have to work out that day. Like totally. I can't. Well, like that, even that has to happen. You know, yeah. like at the at the convention and stuff that we went to. You know, we were gone for like three days, and then the weekend before that, I was gone for three days in Florida playing at a fest yeah. with Kennedy Woodband. And I'm showing up to these hotels, being like. Do they have? Fuck, do they have yeah. a gym? <laughs> and then, like the one in this case, did have a gym, and I was like, "Fuck, I didn't bring any like gym clothes." Yeah, <laughs> like I was genuinely mad about it. Right. I was like, "I go in there, and burn that exercise bike up uh-huh. a little bit, dude." In the airport in uh, Washington D.C., where I was, they had like a little area where you could like rent an exercise bike. For oh, I would minutes. totally do that. I saw it, and I was like, "Ah, oh, then I'm just gonna have to ride on a plane in sweaty clothes and oh, stuff." Oh yeah. So I was like, oh, mm. but I really want to do it," you know? Yeah. So they gym should obsession. also have a, a shower nearby. Yeah, yeah. So gym obsession is one of them, and then also too, as you might be able to tell from this gigantic box full of right. swirled items. I can't talk about what these are yet. I know, but, but they look great. Yeah, I'm doing a project with a company soon where I'm doing a bunch of uh, swirl uh-huh. work. Those that, that know my guitars and stuff remember my big run of swirl painted guitars I did for myself and other artists and stuff. And that, that again, was a hyper obsession. Yeah. When, whenever I got into doing the swirl painting thing, which I'll tell the whole story about that another time, I, I was practicing swirl painting every day, literally mm. every day for about a year yeah. before I even did my first guitar. Uh-huh. I was just swirling like bits of two by fours in a bucket on just my front porch. Just, just trying practicing. to figure out how to do it. Yeah. yeah. And then once I got it right, I was like, okay, I'm ready to do a guitar. Yeah. 
And then guess what? I did like a million of them obsessively yeah. all the time, man. And now it's it's been years, but I'm kind of getting back into getting it because right I, I got approached it, yeah. to this uh, to do this project, and I was like, I don't really know that I want to get back into that again. Well, it's those so hard. Look cool. These are some I of the coolest things I've done. I can't say what they are, done. but if I could say what they are, I don't know what they are. Oh, so they look cool. <laughs> they're cool items. <laughs> so yeah, that's uh, that's another more recent obsession of uh, I've just been thinking about like, man, maybe I do some guitars again. Yeah. Who can I do guitars for? What guitar do I want to get that I can swirl mm. it and stuff? Yeah. So yeah, that's kind of coming back to me in a big way. My my other one, which is just uh, ha- since I discovered it in my twenties, has been a constant lifelong obsession, and that is cooking. Oh yeah. yeah, cooking, just constantly trying to improve recipes to make recipes just a little bit better, a little bit tastier. Oh if I yeah, can. yeah. I've, uh, I've gone through those phases too, where it's just yeah. like, well, I have to perfect fried rice. Yeah. So you pick the one thing and you keep doing it over and over yeah. and over until your wife tells you, "I'm tired of that." Yeah, I'm really <laughs> yeah. fucking tired of eating that. Could we please do something else? Yep. Yeah. Right now, Kate is furiously nodding her head, being like, "I remember all the fucking times that he did this." And my Constant, wife is just man. like, "I miss my husband cooking for me. I don't cook as much anymore." Well, dude, that's the thing is like, I don't know how anybody gets good at anything without being that way. No, I don't, I don't, I don't know how you, I, yeah, I don't I know how you do it just like every once in a while, but also I somehow improve and get better at it. Yeah. Are you crazy? No. That's not how that works, no. is it? Mm. But it seems like that's how it works for a lot of people. Where it's just it like, is. well, a little bit here, a little bit there. What do you know? I'm improving. <laughs> Fuck no. Nope. Me. It's like, okay, I'm going to spend 10,000 hours. I'm going to do that tomorrow. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I'm charting out like, well, how many days is that going to take? That sounds awful. <laughs> Can I compact this down and condense it? It's wild, man. We should cook meth, dude. All right. Yeah, we'd get real good at we'd it. We'd get so Heisenberg fucking good at like, it, like, those guys are fucking good. Yeah, well, we'd make him look like a damn demo, dude. And we'd be like, you're goddamn you're right. You're goddamn right. And we wouldn't be wearing stupid hats. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> man, I hope that uh, our realms of obsession haven't uh, blown you guys away, and I hope that everybody else has their own things that they oh, also sure get hyper-obsessed yeah. with. and. If you guys have some funny ones you'd like to share, be sure to contribute those over on the Facebook group. Mm-hmm. Over on Facebook. I've been noticing a lot of people. Slash dead lovely. Whatever uh, it is. A lot, of, a lot of guys around our age getting obsessed with making bread recently. I know. Right? Thomas is into Thomas it. Thomas is into Yeah, that. Thomas yeah. is really into yeah. that game right there, too. Yeah. And, and of uh, course, the craft beer thing. It makes me want to do it. Yeah. Craft, that craft beer is one of those things I know yep. that if I got into it, I, again, I would be 300 pounds. And, and I'd be the best would, at it. And I'd be amazing at it. Yeah, yeah, dude. Yeah, you can pretty much guarantee that whatever it is that we're going to get into, it's we're going to be become obsessed. the heavyweight yeah. fucking champs of Hell it. Yeah. You guys be sure to sure. Uh, be sure to sure. Sure to sure. Be sure to sure. You're sure to sure. On that Facebook dead and lovely page. That's that old uh, Chinese poem, right? There's a Chinese poem that's just sure, 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 sure. <laughs> that's it's, the one. It is. I'm not, I'm not, that is not me being racist. <laughs> that is really, seriously, really, look it up. There's like a poem that's like 92 different intonations of sure. Oh, because they have the ascending, and, descending tonality. Yeah, so it's like, it's, it's, the entire poem is the same word, but it's all different intonations. So it's a complete poem. Wow. Yeah. That's something else. <laughs> That's well, see, not just me being that's racist. It's not just you. It's, it's that and, <laughs> it's that and. A dose of reality. Right. <laughs> well, see, I say before before we get into the movie here, let's go ahead and pop up this other beer. Hell yes. Pop this thing open, I mean, to say that Adam sent us here. This is the Wild Leap Brewing Company Caramel Cake Stout. Ooh. Caramel Cake All Stout. All of that sounds great. Is a big, dark, and sweet milk stout with layers of rich, creamy caramel and mm. hints of cinnamon and vanilla. Yes. Endorsed by celebrities such as Post Caramelone and Caramel Abdul Jabbar. 
That's fucking awesome. Post caramel. Dude, like any that. any beer that's gonna put dad jokes on their label, I'm on deck. Yeah, that's true. This is a ten and a half percenter. And this is just a regular twelve ounce can. And judging by the description, I think I'm stoked that we're splitting it. Yeah, me too. I think 10%? that much yeah, yeah, that much alcohol plus the description there, I think yeah. means that a whole one it's would probably be, pretty, be brutal. Yeah, it's pretty rich, I imagine. It it looks just it looks thick very and rich. Yeah, it's yeah. got a very uh dark kind of burnt sugar toffee yeah. sort of exterior to the beer here. Like, you shouldn't change your oil, but you're on the way. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It wouldn't be a bad idea. It wouldn't but. be terrible, but... Let's see what this thing's about. Not terribly effervescent. It seems like it's got a very thick consistency mm -hmm. to it, as you would expect with that description. Oh, it smells great. Oh, man, I can't wait to get into this thing. It smells thing. like a stout, but that, it's got that caramel... Yeah, it does have it does have that and kind of a sugar mm -hmm. alcohol sort of smell to yeah. it as well. Let's see what that thing does to you, and then I'll, I'll get myself into this. What do you think about that? Oh. This place fucks. Dude, they Wiley totally Brewing, they fuck. They totally do. Whoa, that is so because it's it's immediately oh, wow. like that's more complicated dessert -y, than I was yeah. But it's not that sweet. No, it's actually not. Yeah, it's got like the caramel flavor and maybe like a sort of chocolatey bitterness, but not very sweet. It's actually not that bad. I thought this would be a total sugar bomb of mm -hmm. a beer, but you know, it's got more of that wow. again sh uh, sugar alcohol, yeah, kind of flavor yeah. to me, where it's like the the sweetness comes from the booziness of it, not yeah, a bunch not of from, added sugar. Mm -hmm. Damn, and you get, you get the cinnamon and the vanilla more on yeah. the back end. There's a lot of flavor to that. That's something that... It's complicated, actually. Yeah. It's actually very complex. Damn. Yeah, I kind that of imagine... That cinnamon even adds like a little burn almost. Yeah, right. On the back end, yeah. It almost has kind of a little bit of a... Uh, what is that That Mexican dessert? Like a dulce de leche? Oh, yeah, yeah. Kind of flavor uh -huh. to it, doesn't it? Yes. Like that caramelized, yes. sweetened, condensed milk kind of flavor mm -hmm. we, we've had some dulce stouts on the show before yes, but have. this one tastes the most like actual dulce yeah, to me just a little less creamy mm -hmm. if this were more creamy then it would really hit that yeah you tossed a shot of heavy cream in there <laughs> let's go for maybe it. that's what you do <laughs> yeah. man that's really good it is great this again is one of those ones that i would love to have with an espresso yeah you know like a beer and an espresso yeah because like it would bring out the flavors in both i totally, feel like right yeah. Damn, that's good. Thanks so much again, Adam, for sending yeah, these. these are Both great. of these are absolutely fucking awesome. All right, Steve. Now, the subject of the show today is, of course, Misery from misery. 19 and 90. And this is one of those ones I've been excited to do uh, ever since we decided to do it a few weeks ago because this is a movie that I've actually only seen once time before. Right. Only once. Yeah, I, I saw it as a kid and I saw it again as like a, a teenager, but uh -huh. I have not seen it since then. So wow. it's been a long, long time. That's pretty cool. This yeah. has got to be a different kind of movie too to see in different stages of life. Like when you were a kid yes. versus as, now, it's probably a very kid, different As a kid, I had no idea what it was about, but it was scary. Yeah, yeah. Like I was like, I don't understand what's happening here, but I remember the hobbling scene and it frightened me. My and, God. Yeah. And then as, as a teenager, it was one of those things where I started to get the story like, oh, okay. Yeah. Like. Writer, he's stuck in this place. This lady's obsessed. Blah blah blah. Now, as an older person who's had some experience with uh, both, you know, writing and uh, uh, having people listen to or read or yeah, enjoy, yeah. Your work enjoy your, your and, work and yeah. be like, hey, I like that. Uh, get scarier. It can get scary. <laughs> yeah, it can. It can. Yeah, it can for sure. Wow, man. Yeah, like I said, I'd watch this one time. I think probably maybe nine years ago is when we were still yeah. living in Jefferson City in our little rental house. Uh -huh. And I remember really liking it, but this is a very different movie to me now. Yeah. Uh, not just because I remembered things differently than what happened here. There were things in this movie that I was like, oh yeah, I forgot that happened in this flick. Yeah. 
but also just my perspective has changed on it. I think a lot, and we'll get into that as the yeah, uh, as the sure. episode goes along here. But yeah, really fucking great. And of course, this is an adaptation of Stephen King's yeah. reading book. Yeah, he wrote he wrote a, a little book called Misery. He which wrote I, a reading book. He wrote a reading book, and I went and read it. You went and read that really recently. Yeah, I did. I have not read this one, so I'm really interested to hear I your do take recommend on the book. this one. If you're if you're looking for a Stephen King, like if you're, I because I I haven't read Stephen King in a long time, and I wanted to get back into him because we've covered so much of his stuff, and I really would like to read more of his stuff. I yeah. think you God, know, there's just so much, and he's owed it. Like it, just because you know, like some of his stuff might be a little not in my like interest zone yeah most of it is though like like yeah. I've, I've always kind of pushed him out because it's like well i've seen the movies and and i read a, a, enough to know but reading misery i was like you know what he can be real economical like misery is basically the book just the two main characters most of the book okay so kind of slicing away some yeah. of the side stories and we see it from paul's perspective so we don't know what happens outside of the house. Wow. So it, it really draws you into that feeling of being stuck. Yeah, yeah. Which probably works, I think, very well in a book. But yeah. I would say would maybe make the movie a little less entertaining, right. a little Which less interesting. Right, which is why William Goldman, who knows what he's doing, came in and added more of the outside world, gives us the publisher at the beginning. Right. And the, we get to see more of Buster figuring this stuff out. Whereas in the in the uh, book, basically, a young cop shows up, she kills him. Three days later, two more cops show up, and one of them's Buster, and they've basically figured out that she did this. Okay. But uh, in the movie, we get the whole, like, seeing Buster slowly. Put the pieces and, and I'm together. glad because uh, without Buster in Virginia, this movie would be hard to it watch. It would be grim and yes. tough to watch, for sure, man. Yeah. For sure. But, and again, uh, I totally forgot about their characters. They're too. so great, yeah. Dude, they're so fucking awesome. And yeah. I just want to say, just a little side note about them. What Coen Brothers movie did they escape from? <laughs> because, dude, when you watch this movie, the tone it's of it is Coen so Brothers. grim. Yeah. But then those two characters, dude, I swear to God, yeah. if they were played by Sam Elliott and Francis McDermott... That would be great. You'd be I like, love these that. are just Coen Brothers characters showing yeah. up in this movie. Dude, all that dialogue between them mm -hmm. is so legit. Oh, I like that tone. Yes. It's that is so that fucking was seriously funny. one of my favorite lines because it reminded me so much of my grandmother. Yeah, but, dude. Yeah. Oh, They're I just like such a tone. believable yeah. old couple. Yeah. And while, uh, you're, while you're in this vehicle, you're not my wife, you're my deputy. <laughs> I'd rather be under the covers with the sheriff or whatever it is she says. <laughs> God damn it. So, dude, when he like, He's walking down that hill and falls into that snow, and she's like, standing at the top of the hill looking up there yeah. like, this dumbass. Yep. And she's like, you okay down there? And he's like, well, I'm having a great time. <laughs> God, I love it so much. And I love that they just, like, they slip that levity yeah. into this movie. Yes, they do, because otherwise it is just super dark. Oh, boy, yeah. I'll tell you what, I man. mean, the, the novel itself is about Stephen King dealing with his own addiction, and the novel, like... Because in the movie, he's constantly hiding the pills and not really taking them and using them to like... Yeah, trying to knock her yeah. out and stuff. But in the book, he's constantly taking them and he becomes addicted to them and has to have them. Oh, so it's and like a little bit more on Front Street as yeah. to what this and is really so about. When he's like, you know, when she leaves and he goes to get the pills out of the, the bathroom, he, in the movie, he's doing it so he can poison her. In the book, he's doing it because he needs the pill. 
oh, because damn. he's like going through detox. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so the the mo- the book is way more about addiction and also about uh, Stephen King dealing with the backlash to his book The Eyes of the Dragon in 1984, which was a an epic fantasy novel that was aimed more towards children. Yeah, yeah. That got the Star Wars fan treatment, which oh, is Oh, okay. Oh man, what the hell, bro? Can't believe you would do that to us. Uh, You're you supposed my to life. write horror. You're supposed to write what I want. Yeah. Ugh. So he replaced the word horror with misery and you you could do that throughout this entire movie and Absolutely. the book. Replace yeah. the word misery with horror and basically saying, I don't want to write horror books anymore. I'm tired of horror books. I want to write something else. Yeah. But then what I really love about the novel itself is how it's kind of playful with that, where Paul thinks that his, his non-misery book is this like the best book he's ever written and oh. all this stuff. And it's called Fast Cars. That's the title. And... It, it seems to me that Stephen King is trying to, like, nudge us to laughing at him. Like, actually, that book probably sucks really bad. Like, but he also just might be excited about it because it's not another fucking exactly. Book. Yeah. Like, it, it's like Stephen King playing with his own, uh, his own feelings at the time, where he felt like, okay, I'm gonna get away from writing horror, and then it, it succeeded critically. Like, people loved it, but yeah. his his main core audience was mad at him for not writing another horror book. And he just discovers, like, okay, this thing that I thought was so great and that the critics loved, like, the people who buy my stuff don't love it. Well, you know what's so weird about that, though, is, like, how intensely hyper-meta that entire thing gets, where Stephen King in real life was like, okay, guys, I want to do something other than horror. Then he does it, people fucking shit all over it, and he's like, it really hurt my feelings that people didn't like it whenever I branched out and did something different. So I need to tell them how disappointed I am in that and uh-huh. how hard it is to continue doing and this And how myself. crazy they look for not letting me just do write what a book. Want. Yeah. yeah. But then also delivering that message to his readers by writing a horror novel yeah. about it. One that was not only like... Acclaimed and his fans go, oh, great yeah. job. That's really yeah. good. <laughs> it's like, no, this is me telling you I'm tired of doing this. But he, he <laughs> cared about the book so much that it was one that he wouldn't uh, sign the rights over to easily. Because really? like most of his books at that by this point were already, the film rights were already sold before the book was published. Uh-huh. In this case, he, he felt this was so personal that he held it back and wouldn't wow. let anybody else do it. He only trusted Rob Reiner to do it because of how well Rob Reiner did Stand By Me. And uh, Rob Reiner was like so appreciative that he named his production company Castle Rock, Castle Rock Entertainment. Entertainment. It's funny, I hadn't actually put those pieces together yeah. until we were watching the opening credits of this movie and I was like, Castle Rock Entertainment? Yeah. I was like, I know that that's a production company, Rob Reiner's, but I never put the pieces together. Yeah. Like, oh, like Castle Rock, Castle yeah. Rock. So he, he named it after Stephen King's Way fictional go, Meathead. Yeah, old Meathead. Old Meathead. <laughs> also director of Spinal Tap. The director of Spinal Tap, the director of uh, all sorts of great Tons movies, great honestly. Place, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. Uh, but... So he, he trusted Rob Reiner, but he wanted only Rob Reiner to direct it. So he would wow. only give up the the rights if, if Rob Reiner would direct it. Rob Reiner read the book, was interested, and they moved forward with it. So if it hadn't been for Rob Reiner, this might not have been adapted until much later. And 
maybe wouldn't have been given the the treatment that it gets that this movie does a really good job of really conveying the feeling of the book while making it work as a movie yeah yeah and that all comes down to william goldman's screenplay and william goldman is like the screenwriter of the 70s yeah that's the guy that did fucking princess bride right yeah he yeah he's a novelist playwright all sorts of stuff uh but he was huge as a screenwriter in the 70s he did princess bride in the 70s as a novel right and they didn't adapt it until 87 okay yeah but most of his stuff yeah like marathon man he did the adaptation of all the president's men in the 70s like wow big projects yeah he did big stuff but his first original screenplay was butch cassidy and the sundance kid uh kind of starting off at a pretty high watermark yeah wow and he sold it for four hundred thousand dollars which was the most for a first original screenplay at that time wow yeah i mean that that would probably be like several million dollars in today money oh yeah if you yeah today the most for first original screenplay is is uh huge and and yeah four hundred thousand dollars in the 70s is a few million dollars imagine that like you do your first screenplay and it's like oh i'm a millionaire now this is nice that would be great great yeah it would be nice if i could just sell a screenplay and pay off my uh student loans yeah (laughs) that'd be (laughs) cool okay i guess that'd be cool damn dude but uh quite a dream team here yeah so yeah you got rob reiner uh you got william goldman adapting stephen king and then yeah then we come to the casting and that's something that's interesting because this movie no matter how you write it the star is annie will sure so no male actors wanted to take the role oh because they didn't want to be upstate so they offered the role to a lot of people and this isn't even the entire list i'm just gonna go through the ones i was able to write until my page ran out. Good lord. Uh, they offered the role to William Hurt twice. Oh, Kevin wow. Klein, Michael Douglas, Harrison Michael Ford, Douglas. Oh, Dustin Hoffman, Robert De Niro, Al Pacino, Richard Dreyfus, Gene Hackman, Robert Redford. I ran out of room. Dude. But also Denzel Washington and Bruce Willis this and is a like few others. Everybody that was a star by 1990, they yeah. offered this to, and they all turned it down. Mm-hmm. They all turned it down because Amy Wilkes is the star of the movie. Paul Sheldon's barely in it. Damn, dude. And uh, there were a few people considered for Annie Wilkes, but William Gosh, Goldman... I can't, I can't imagine anybody else yeah. other than William Goldman said it was Kathy Bates' role Absolutely. Like, from the beginning. Now, Kathy Bates was nobody at this point. That blows my mind because, yeah. you know, nowadays it's like, oh, it's Kathy Bates. Like, mm-hmm. she is a established... Yeah. Fucking lifelong fucking star but that's because of this movie this is the role that makes us all know that's fucking kathy Bates. It, it doesn't all go back to that thing you've talked about many times on the show where somebody might go like oh i'm just an average looking person that's in their 40s yes i can't possibly do that yes yeah, she's she was like 42 when they made this movie. that woman's 78 years old i believe is what i saw wow. last night when i looked it up and she's she, just a very normal, average-looking woman. Yeah. She doesn't look like a movie star. She looks like exactly. somebody who you'd see in the grocery store. But can you imagine movie, TV, TV and film without Kathy Bates? Fuck no. Like, she has had so many incredible She is amazing. Roles. Yeah. yeah. I, at the very least, we wouldn't have The Water Boy. Oh, yeah. Holy shit. Mama says uh, alligator is so hungry because it got all them teeth but no toothbrush. <laughs> <laughs> Looks like mama's wrong again. I forgot that she was in that, dude. God damn right she is. Oh, my God. Anyway, Kathy Bates, she nails this. I, I think I talked about this. Maybe I think it was when we did Evil Dead 2. Uh-huh. 
that Kathy Bates and Francis McDormand and Sam Raimi and Ted Raimi, I think, were all living in the same house oh, at yeah. that time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I forgot so about that. So this was like 88. This is like two years before Whoa. Misery. So like, this but, is just when she's struggling actress. She had been yeah. a theater actress yeah, and decided say, to like, go like... It's not like she was bagging groceries one day and was no, like, no, I no, think no. I'll she, be an actor. No, she had had some roles even in, I think even in the late 70s is when her first like TV role or something was, but... This is her first big movie role. First big starring movie role. And she went like, did she win an Oscar for it? She won an Academy Award and a Golden Globe for this. Holy shit. Wow. So everybody just kind of like swung for the fences on the first try and knocked out home runs on this. Yeah. That's pretty wild. She told the story though that uh, the day after she won the Academy Award, she was working on something with Alec Baldwin and uh, some fans like came over and asked for autographs and she, she signed an autograph for a fan. And then, uh, later she was out on the studio letting her dog take a poop and she had forgotten something to pick it up. And she, saw a piece of paper and reached down to pick up the dog poop with that piece of paper and it was her autograph <laughs> like so even after she had won the academy award she wasn't yeah, kathy bates really yeah. nobody gave a shit holy shit yeah, that's so, crazy like, she she still had a while to go before she was like fucking kathy bates also good but, for her for being a responsible dog owner yeah good for you <laughs> i've been there where you forget something and totally. it's like i am not using my hand no something's around there's here. something <laughs> yeah. around it. yeah there's always a way yeah Damn, man. Yeah, she is a fucking badass, and from interviews and stuff I've seen with her, she seems to be just like a cool as shit, yeah. good human being. She's from Memphis. She's very. She's really. She's a Tennessean. Yeah. Uh huh. I didn't know that. Yeah, she's Southern girl. Extra cool points. Yeah, Dude. she was in Fried Green Tomatoes. Yeah, that's right. Mm-hmm. That's right. Yeah, she absolutely destroys it in this movie. Yeah. Who was other people they were gonna consider for her? Uh, okay, so I know Angelica Houston was considered. Oh, man, I love she her. she actually was interested, but was already signed on to another movie. Okay. She could have been great. She could have been awesome. Yeah. Uh, also, Jessica Lang, who was fucking amazing, and Barbara Streisand. Barbara who Streisand. I would struggle to see in that role. The thing that would be good about that is because you'd be watching this going, I can't believe this is Barbara Streisand. But the fact that this was a then unknown right. Kathy Bates yeah. actress made that it That works better. better. Yeah. Yeah, because again, whenever you have that like recognizability on screen, sometimes it kind of fucks with your expectations. It does. You know? Yeah. Sometimes for good, sometimes for bad. Not usually good for like intense dramatic roles mm-hmm. like this. I mean, Jessica Lange is fucking amazing. Like, anybody yeah. who's seen her in America Horror, American Horror Story knows that like she could have pulled this off. Well, but the only but thing is... she is, like, also was more recognizable. Yeah. yeah. Well, and to me, too, like when you're talking about her and Angelica Houston and all these other actresses, like I wouldn't really believe that they could you know, drag a full-grown right. James Con around. Yeah, whereas Kathy Bates is, and this is a, I guess, not a word that women love to hear about themselves, but sturdy. She's a sturdy-looking She's woman. She's a sturdy woman. She yeah, can, so she can lift him up. It's much more believable yeah. to me because it's just like you look at her and you're like, yeah, she could probably drag him around. Yeah, yeah. You know, so I think that that adds a, a layer of believability just based on her physicality. Yeah, you know what I mean. For and, sure. And also just the fact that she's such a, and again, I don't mean this in a demeaning way whatsoever. Uh, as a average-looking person as well. Mm. She's an average-looking person. Yeah. Which is just so identifiable as just like, mm. oh, she's just some fan of this guy. She's yeah. just another normal person that's just obsessed with this author yeah. that makes it more believable rather than her looking like what you think a movie star looks like. Like, Angelica Houston looks like a fucking movie star. Yeah, she does. You yeah. know? The fact that she is just so normal-looking 
makes this role more terrifying yes. because you've talked to this person. You've met this person. She does look like a nurse you might have. Absolutely yeah. so. So I think it makes it a lot more believable and also even more believable because of her at that time unknown status as an actress. Here's the thing that's interesting to me is that she did something that very few people have been able to do and that is uh, create a role. And what I mean by that is other people have played this role and when they play it, they have to deal with Kathy Bates. Like you, yeah, it's like just playing like the Joker, playing the Joker. Yeah. Yeah. Like, uh, I mean, Jack Nicholson didn't have to deal with Cesar Romero. Really? I guess mm. he did a little people like expectations were kind of there, but he mostly could do his own thing. But then Heath Ledger has to deal with Jack Nicholson and now everybody has to deal with Jack Nicholson and Heath Ledger. Right. Like it's just a constant thing. So, wasn't there some other guy that played the Joker too? Nah, no, 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 no. I don't make, think okay, so. I don't think so. I don't think so. Okay, make no, sure. No, there definitely wasn't a Joker with stupid tattoos. No, that doesn't ring a bell. <laughs> but the thing is that uh, so Kathy Bates has played this role, and now Lizzie Kaplan played it in Castle Rock season two. I still haven't watched that yet, man. Nails does it. she do a good job? She does such a great job, and you can tell she's working off of wow. Kathy Bates. Does she have that same like quality where it's like she seems so nice and innocent, yes. but also way over the edge yes, of the same Lizzie time? Yes, Lizzie Kaplan is so fucking good. Fuck uh, yeah, man. Yeah. But She's then, been in some other stuff we've covered too, hasn't she? Yeah. I think we've done uh-huh. her in some movies. Yeah, and we will, uh, again, if if we ever do uh, Cloverfield, which I know we will. Oh, yeah, I know she's we will. She's in that. Yeah. And she's in some other stuff. Uh, anyway, also, Laurie Metcalf played her on stage in the theatrical oh. production uh, a, a, with... Bruce Willis, with who was Bruce originally Willis. offered the role. What the fuck? Yeah. And she was nominated for a Tony Award for that. Really? So three different times. Other people have played uh, her, like, you know, in theatrical productions. But these were the three major ones I could point out of this is a this is an established now female villain role I'm gonna that tell women you, will get to play for generations. Yeah, this is like an iconic character, yeah. you know? Not just a one-off, like, oh, this person did it well, but otherwise, mm-hmm. not really interesting. Yeah. This is a definitive movie character. Exactly. I'll tell you how small and weird the world is, too, with that story you were just That's telling about Bruce Willis. So, whenever me and Matt Menifee, the banjo player from the Hit Points, mm-hmm. were in the airport waiting to leave uh, from Minneapolis... Mm-hmm. He was telling me the story because I was like, yeah, whenever I get home, I've got to watch Misery for the podcast. He was like, oh, he's like, that's so weird. I, I got a story about that. And he was telling me that he was on tour with, uh, you know, the country at Big and Rich. Uh-huh. He was on tour playing banjo with them. He's, dude, he's played with like Mumford and Sons. He's oh, played with a lot crazy. of big ass acts. Holy shit. So he was hanging out with, uh, I guess, whatever the, the guy whose last name is Rich. I don't know. I don't know his name. Yeah. But that guy from the group. That guy. They're hanging out like at his place. And Menifee was hanging around talking to this dude for like an hour that was there at this party. Mm-hmm. And uh, he was like, yeah, I was going to come up and play some harmonica and stuff during your all set, but I couldn't. I had this production meeting I had to meet for for this Broadway show I might be doing. And Menifee was like, oh, what is it? He's like, oh, well, you know, it's, uh, you know the movie Misery. We're doing a Broadway production of that. He was talking to Bruce Willis the entire time. The Bruce fuck? W- yeah, he didn't fucking know who he was. That's crazy. I know. How did he not know? 
I don't know. I have Bruce no fucking Willis? idea. How do you not know Bruce Willis? You got to know Matt to, an- to know the okay. answer to that question. I love Matt <laughs> Oh, he so doesn't much. see dead people. I get it. Exactly. Oh, okay. <laughs> All the rest of us do. Yeah. Yeah. So like several years ago, they were hanging around talking about this very thing. That's fucking How crazy. How small is the world? It gets, yeah. It's always at six degrees of separation. Yeah, shit, it is. You yeah. know? Pretty crazy. Yeah, that's really cool. <laughs> so this has become a character that's just kind of one of those yeah. watermarks for, yeah, for women sure. play. And, and it sounds like what you're saying, people have fucking nailed it. Yeah, they have. And it's because they're playing off of what Kathy Bates did. Wow. Because this could have sucked. This could have been very bad. Yeah. There's we, so many times in this movie that I was watching it going, man, that could have been really corny when that was delivered. She knows what she's doing. She knows what she's yeah. doing. And also, too, Rob Reiner knows what he's doing. Again, dude, this is another one of those examples. And we've talked about this with other flicks, like whenever we watch Jaws or whenever mm-hmm. we watch Poltergeist uh, yeah. or even like Kubrick's The Shining. Right. When good directors get to make horror movies, it's fucking awesome. It is. Please quit like downgrading and shaming yes. horror yeah. and like not even giving it an Oscar category because then like directors won't touch it because yeah. it's this look down on genre. There should at least be a genre like category for science but, fiction, horror, yeah. like all those different genres should just at least have their own category so we can all like, because it, it's ridiculous that. I mean, because Rob Reiner was even questioned at this point, why are you doing this? Like, you've already got this, like, legacy of when Harry met Sally and, you know, uh, Stand By Me and all these things. Why do you want to dip down to that level? Yeah. Uh, So, doing this, that's a, it's a big, I I think more big directors should voluntarily go into these roles, like, decide to direct this horror movie do it well bring respect to the well. genre man yeah. bring respect to it you know yeah but yeah there's so many things that she does in here and again it's 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 i'm gonna say like probably 80 percent her 20 yeah. percent the direction and the way they chose to shoot it and stuff of things that she does that could have been so over the top and so stupid but no but no they're She's restrained all the time yeah yeah because that, that's how crazy people act yeah and that's what we need to get into her character like yeah her insanity is so much more believable because it's the insanity we've seen from other people like when you've actually dealt with insane people in your life what that usually entails is a lot of normal times yeah and they might or be doing a lot really... of less scary times yeah, yeah. well and they might be doing things that are crazy or rational but to them it's totally normal yeah, and it fits logical into their their logic it fits into their like ideas of the world what they're doing all makes sense to them yeah so when someone acts crazy in a horror movie and they're like i'm crazy i'm the fucking tasmanian devil yeah that's not that's how not they how crazy act. people well, that, that kind of goes back to a couple weeks ago when we were talking about uh, i like that we're using the the soft appellation crazy people <laughs> yeah crazy people yeah <laughs> but that kind of goes back to what we were talking about whenever uh we were reviewing jordan peele's us mm-hmm. a couple weeks ago where i was like man I hate that shit, like, whenever Red is sitting there and she kind of cocks her head to the side and kind of, like, smiles and drums right. her fingers on her face. Like, see also things that crazy people don't actually do. Right, but she's not crazy. That's true. In the case, she's trying to be specifically, like, scary. And, yeah, it is a little lame. But but yeah. the fact is, is that crazy people don't realize that they're crazy. No, so they, they act think they're normal. insane. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Wa- watch interviews and stuff with... Dahmer, uh, Kemper, any of those guys, any of our documented serial killers and stuff. Mm -hmm. And they talk about this stuff like it's totally normal. They're not like, and then I ate him. (laughs) 
<laughs> like the that's one, not how they really act. The people that d- have done that in interviews are trying to come off as crazy. Yeah. yeah. And and it's obvious they're not crazy because yeah. if they were crazy, they wouldn't be acting like I know that this makes you feel uncomfortable because it's a bad thing. Mm-hmm. They're not because they think it's right. They think and it's good. right. Yeah. yeah. So, like, so she thinks person, she's doing a good thing. Yeah. Well, and even like in this movie where she's fucking breaking his feet and hobbling yeah. him and stuff like as she is putting that that big log in between his feet uh-huh. and legging up that sledgehammer and being like this is this is the right thing to do this yeah. is for your own good yeah and then after she fucking smashes his feet she's like right there dead center and the camera goes god, god i love I you, love you. Yeah. it's not this kooky zany over the top yeah. thing like there's no crazy weird camera yeah. angles or like weird grimy filter this on is the all screen for the best it's, yeah it's her thought she's thinking that she's doing what's best for everyone yeah this makes like, sense to yeah. me so the suicide the murder suicide that she's planning at the end makes all the sense in the world yeah. it's a good thing and it's brought up so casually she's yeah. like i have this gun and i put two bullets in it yeah Death is nothing to her. No. But, but cussing is a big deal. That's an interesting thing to me about this yeah. is the the lines in her morality. Mm-hmm. And I've known people that are like yeah, this too. I know like entire was like sects of people. <laughs> Congregations of people yeah, that whole, are this way. Whole whole swaths of people that are very much like this. That say, for instance, if you're like you know, genocide shouldn't happen. They're like, hey, lower your tone. Yeah. You shouldn't be so mean. <laughs> Why are you being mean? It's like, well, yeah, but people are killing. I don't. Okay. That's just dirty talk. What you're saying. I don't want to hear it. Yeah. But like entire people are dying. <clears throat> okay. That's unpleasant. Let's or, not talk unpleasantness. Or let's just talk about like the hundreds of people that we both know that will say things like, Oh, that effing son of a gun. Yep. In the same sentence, dropping horrible racial slurs yeah. or slurs against the gay community. Yep. Mm-hmm. Like, where's, Those so where's things the aren't line bad there? to say. Yeah. yeah. But effing. Effing. Yeah. Oh, God. It drives me nuts. I don't want to sound dirty, you N-word. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> like, I, I, it drives me crazy when people abbreviate terrible, their fucking yeah. profanity. I yeah, hate it so that, much, man. Yeah. It drives I, what, me crazy. what drives me more crazy is the people that, that use other words. She is. Oh, that's even dumber. Frickin'. Oh, God, I hate it. It's like, I know what you're trying to say. Just say that. It's the same effect, right? It's the same effect, right? In fact, if you said fucking, I wouldn't have thought about it. You said frickin', so I thought, what do they mean? Oh, fucking, right. (laughs) (laughs) But they're not willing to just fucking say it. Yeah, that's the thing with her characters. Like, she will get after him about, like, all this foul language Uh in his book and stuff. But then also at the same time, she's killed babies. Yep. Whoa! Mm-hmm. And again, that, those are those leaps in morality and logic that that we see in real life serial yes. killers and stuff like that too. And that show true insanity mm-hmm. because true insanity doesn't care what other people think it looks like. It only sees the world from its perspective, and that perspective is absolutely right, no matter what everyone else is saying or doing. So. Her insanity is constantly forcing her worldview onto everybody this else. World yeah. that obviously isn't what she thinks it is. Yeah, 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 yeah man. I, I I love it. I love her performance in this, and I love how she does have this, you know, very wholesome motherly kind of attitude. But then at the same time, man, when she like flips, yeah, it's intense and yes. it's fucking terrifying. I've seen that, man. I've yeah. seen people like that where. Uh, yeah, 
just you're having fun and suddenly it's not fun anymore. Yeah, the switch flips. Yeah. I mean, even like there towards the first of the movie, one of the first times she gets mad and she like takes that that plant stand mm-hmm. and just like it, I mean, yeah, it looks like so, he's about to die. Yeah, yeah, and he like puts his arm up like she's about to fucking beat me to death with yeah. this thing. And even just the fact that like that the house is so neat and tidy organized, and then she doesn't even flinch at pulling this plant stand out. Shattering yeah. this pot, dirt no. flying everywhere, and then smashing it above yeah. the headboard. She'll just clean it up. Yeah. yeah. It's so wild and so well done. And when mm. she flips, again, it's not like an over-the-top no. kind of thing, but it's so believable. Yes. Man. Yeah, I, I, was, I was very unnerved by this as a kid and as an adult even more. Extremely so, unnerving. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, where it's like, yeah, I, I've seen this. I've seen these people acting this way, and, and I know how... Uh, difficult that is to deal with when you are uh, able. Yeah. But he is, his legs are crushed. Yeah. Like he's in complete, uh, in total, like, he needs her yeah, to yeah. survive. He uh-huh. cannot do anything himself. So he makes the bright and smart decision of basically placating her. Yeah. And he does it so well. I love that. He times. starts to like yeah. you can see through the movie like as yeah. he starts to figure out yes. her character. Like he's not oblivious. He yeah. knows he's being held by a lunatic. Yes. But he also knows how helpless he is in the situation. Yeah. So he starts, like you said, placating her. Uh-huh. And I love even too, like when she's like, You always finish your book with a, a bottle of Dom Perignon. Yep. And he's like, Yep, yep. Dom, Dom Perignon. Uh-huh. Just to go with what she thinks. Yeah. In the book i believe it's chapter two when he realizes she's going to kill him wow like so the book the whole time is him placating her not because he thinks he's gonna necessarily get out of this but to get pills oh so the book is like so even more about the addictive process whereas this is so much more about the actual like like the, how the tension of the situation and yeah, like, yeah. like the book really gets into addiction and like he he's become so good at placating her because he has to have the pills. Yeah, or yeah. He's in and and the pain is no longer necessarily about the broken leg. It's about the pain of not having the pills. Right. And that's why she's using them. Well, he like, was just such a like turbo mega cokehead back in the day. Yeah, right? and, yeah. And alcoholic, I guess. Uh, so yeah, d- Stephen King has said that Annie was his addiction. That that she it represents his addiction and his biggest fan. Yeah. And and he means that as in Annie is his addiction and his biggest fan and his addiction was also his biggest fan. Wow. Like wow. that his addiction was what kept him making more and more books. Yeah. And he felt like he couldn't create without it. Well, you can't buy that sweet yayo without some right. book selling money. Yeah, I had to, I mean that had to be tough cuz the like he the 80s, late 70s, early 80s is when people finally started saying like maybe we shouldn't do cocaine, guys, but like all throughout the 70s and into the 80s Cocaine was just a thing that was oh, at ran parties everywhere. Yeah. yeah. It ran the entire entertainment industry. Yeah. It ran so everything. It, it wasn't even strange for a writer to be on cocaine. It wasn't strange for a writer to be addicted to cocaine. It was more strange for a writer to see that's a problem. Right. <laughs> yeah. Like, wow, man. He, he, was, he was really dealing with his issues here. So he, he, he put, I guess, all that hurt and pain 
into Annie like that that the way that drugs can be so sweet and nice and feel great and then yeah, turn yeah. have this ugly demon yeah. side. Wow. When you look at it that way, that is a very, very powerful yeah. narrative on uh, the entire overlook of like a creative person and their job and their addiction and how that entire cycle yeah. just feeds everything. I plus think, plus you draw you know the, the fandom aspect into I it. I think too. every creative person deals with something like addiction where it's yeah. like you know the you know exactly the level you need to be at to create your best. Yeah. And whether that be a few drinks, whether that be getting stoned, whether that be like whatever it be, maybe you need to go on a hike. And if you don't go on that fucking hike, you're not going to get anything on that page. Sure. Yeah. Like it, it, not even just addiction. It's like a habit, just a particular way that, you know, if you do it this way, you can get out what you're trying to get out. Right. And sometimes that becomes, well, if I, if I do this much cocaine, I'll have this novel done in a week. Uh, and it's, it, it's why artists are complicated and why artists also end up saying stupid shit all the time. Cause a yeah. lot of the time and constantly self-destructive. Yeah. Cause a lot of the time they are so singularly focused on maintaining that work schedule and that, that particular work condition that, everything else just falls to the wayside they don't even worry about how people perceive them or how what they're saying is wrong and bad to say it's yeah. just like the work came to my fucking head i got work to do i don't care like well and for a lot of artists too i, I find that those those substances that we're talking about whether it be drugs or alcohol or whatever yeah. they usually either function as a switch to turn it on or turn it off turn it off is a lot of times with the alcohol right like, yeah so like i just need i need the fucking Heroin. things i'm thinking about yeah. just to shut up for a second so i can sleep or act like a normal person yeah the people that get real into pills heroin stuff like that that's turning it off yeah i was that's gonna just say saying it's too much i can't deal with it all the time right yeah but a lot of dudes that that do like cocaine and stuff like that it's like so that you can have the energy to keep going and turn that right switch because on. you want it more and more and more and more and yeah, more yeah exactly, like man. amphetamines yeah stuff like that those those all and that's what Stephen King wanted like fuck like if I'm gonna be this plug for all this great horror creativity just pour cocaine in my nose yeah <laughs> give just, it to me yeah and and he did he did create a whole lot of great shit out of that but it also I would say he he's become a better writer because he's not on it like he probably probably self edits a little more yeah he's probably <laughs> probably more conscious like at times where it's like this is not this is not how people talk or this is not how children talk or this is not how women are ever maybe not the child orgies yeah. this time yeah he's really good at <laughs> writing villain villainous women like he's not he's yeah. not great at writing women characters in general but villainous women he seems he to can do, do pretty that well pretty good, yeah huh? interesting yeah uh, but you know the cool thing about this movie is it is such a perfect analyzation of of like you said uh, addiction and the creative cycle and right. all that and how his career was going at that time. But the thing about this movie that sort of changed for me between when I saw it the first time and as I've watched it now, because mm-hmm. uh, you know nine years ago when I watched this the first time, I I didn't have a YouTube channel. I didn't right. have what I would call fans or people yeah. that are influenced by things sure. that I do. And now watching this as somebody with, and again, I'm not fucking self-deluded. I know in the grand scale of things, I'm not 
famous by any, no any means. Bieber. No, exactly. Yeah. yeah, I'm not fucking famous, but it's like I do have people that watch my content right. and listen to what I say. So it's like I do have some fans, not it's as ma- not as many as a lot of people, but I have some. Mm-hmm. So it's really interesting to watch this from the perspective of it being about the the kind of hostage situation mm-hmm. that a lot of artists end up with with their fans. Now, of course, I'm not speaking of my own situation because... No, you get to seemingly do what you want. I, it kind of yeah. seems that way, yeah. man. It's like I've had so many times where I'm like, I don't know, do people want this yeah. country music guitar lesson for, for me to play in this southern rock band? And they sure do. And it's like, yeah, cool, we'll listen to it, we'll check uh-huh. it out, sure, whatever. It's like, it's pretty awesome. But again, that's that's the internet for you. Yeah. You know, wh- whatever you put out, somebody out there is going to like it. Yeah. So it's kind of convenient in that way. It takes the pressure off, I think, sure. quite a bit. Uh-huh. So I'm not saying in any way that I'm like in this hostage situation with, with my fans, but it's just given me some different perspective on it where, you know, I think especially to a pre-internet age uh, where you're just selling directly to your fans right? and your fans read your books and it's not like the internet where somebody's searching for... right. You know, whatever. What what was the Heart of the Dragon or whatever you, you mentioned? Yeah, Eyes of the Dragon. Eyes yeah. of the Dragon. Yeah. Would find this and be like, oh, cool, a fantasy novel. I'll check this out. Like, only Stephen King fans are reading that. And they go, right. this isn't what I expected. And they freak out and they hate it. And then he becomes kind of enslaved just to do the things that the fans want out of him. Like, right. he started doing just whatever he wanted to do, whatever he thought of. Right. He he, But then ended up being enslaved by the fans who just want what they want out of him. True. I mean... It- like he puts all of his thoughts into Paul Sheldon's voice, basically. They're totally. Like, you know, he's he's just he's tired of these misery books. Yeah. He's tired. He's tired of digging deep into the darkness of the soul constantly. He's just tired of yeah, it. He wants misery. to do something fun. Yeah. Yeah. Because at this his point, fans I mean, are like, no, you can't have fun. Yeah. You're the horror guy. You yeah. write the scary stuff. Mm-hmm. We don't want to hear that. Yeah, and uh, th- this was almost released as a Richard Bachman book. Wow. It, it wasn't uh, because he it was so personal to him, he wanted his name on it. But Makes sense. if he had released it as Richard Bachman, um, I don't know that it would have been as successful maybe as it was. Because like, mm-hmm. I, I think that people have gotten from the 1987 when the book came out they've kind of gotten that's what happened was that the eyes of the dragon came out and the audience reacted that way and this was kind of his his reaction to them yeah uh so i think if it had come out as richard bachman it would have been it wouldn't have had the same effect yeah it wouldn't have had the same gusto it would have been like he's sort of hiding behind something to say what he really wants to say i think so it was it was smart of him to put his own name on this well what i like about it too is that there's even that part in the movie where, you know, Kathy Bates is like basically making him rewrite the book, mm-hmm. but she doesn't even really want out of it the story that he wants to tell. I mean, yeah, she burnt the man, well, made him burn the manuscript of the story he wanted to tell, right? And then made him rewrite the book, and she's like asking him questions about it. She's like, oh, it does it turn out that she's the daughter of aristocracy? I knew it. That's what I always wanted. And mm-hmm. you just kind of get this attitude that like. The fans aren't even interested in hearing what the author himself has to say about it. They Star just want, Wars. Yeah. yeah. Seriously, right? <laughs> like, they just want out of it what they expected. Like, they right. don't even want to be surprised. Yep. They just want out of it entirely what they were thinking the story should have been. Star Wars. Fuck the author and his expectations. It's the <laughs> yeah. same idea, yeah. right? Yeah. So, I like that this kind of dips into that, that aspect of fandom and stuff, too, yeah. is that people just want... Their minds are already made up of what they want out of yes. the artist. And again, the hostage situation that happens where it's like, 
without the fans, that artist literally dies. Well, and the truth of that is too that <laughs> that they only want one particular thing, and if they get it, they'll complain it was too predictable. Right. Yeah. That total catch. So if they don't get the thing they want, they're mad about it. If they get the thing they want, they're mad about they're it. They're mad about yeah. it. Yeah. Right. So it's it's just like dealing with her. You don't know what you can do to pacify her at all times. And he gets better at it and better at it, but she still just will like fall into a rage suddenly. Yeah. So like you can't you can't know exactly how they're going to react. You just have to put out what you put out. Put out what you put yeah. out, man. And, and also, too, people need to learn to be fans to listen to whatever the artist wanted to say at that time. And yeah. if you don't like it, you don't like it. It's fine. Maybe you yeah. like the next one. Just go with it. You yeah, know, it's fine if you don't like. Uh, like if you like a band and they put out an album, you don't like the album. It doesn't mean you have to hate the band now. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's you one just thing. Don't that, like that album. There's one line in particular. Uh, that she says during the movie that I was like, man, that's such a cool line because it could be either character saying it. Hmm. But there's that part where she's been like taking care of him and doting over him and all that jazz. And she has that line where she's like, I have given you everything that you need. I have provided for you and taken care of you and hmm. given you exactly what you want. And here you are complaining. Yeah. And that's, and him. it's like, that could be a line. Yeah, he could have said the character. same exact thing. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's like, either the artist or the fan could say the same thing. Mm-hmm. I mean, without the fans, like I said a second ago, without fans, a comedian is just a guy in a room talking to himself. Yeah, it's a symbiotic relationship. It is. It is. And and, and it, that's why people who don't listen to their fans, who don't address their fans, who don't have some sort of interaction with their fans are doing a disservice to their work mm-hmm. because the fans are a part of that. The yeah. people who listen or the people who read or the people who watch, you're you're aiming it at them. If you completely forget about them, then you get detached and you start creating this stuff that nobody gets and nobody needs to, honestly, because it's your own farts that you're recycling because yeah. you think you're so <laughs> fucking great. That right. You're too good for your fans. Like, yeah, it's, uh, there, there, there could be certainly a message for artists here that, which is like, be delicate with your fans. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Be careful. Uh, be aware that people are going through things. Sometimes things mean more to people than the, the people who are creating it. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, I mean, to, to some of your fans, you're all that they have. Right. So, like, there, there's definitely, like, a symbiotic relationship that this is getting at how that can turn against the artist. But there's definitely the other way, too, where the artist just... Just don't give credence to their fans. Mm-hmm. And they're certainly the people who just create art and don't try to get too involved in the hype or whatever, and they're fine. But really, if you're creating art, you need to be engaging. You need to be saying like, hey, uh, this is how I feel about this. Or, hey, guys, it's really cool that you like my stuff. Thanks for watching, reading, or listening to it. Yeah. Like, yeah, just some engagement. Well, it's so funny, too, that this movie comes, you know, 20 20- about 20 years before the social media age where artists and their fans would be directly interfacing with each other Mm -hmm. through Twitter or Facebook or just whatever, you know? Uh, This movie kind of strangely saw all that coming in a way. Yeah. And uh, 
yeah, I think it's really interesting to look at it from that perspective mm-hmm. of what a content creator these days is like in their interactions with I, fans. I can't imagine being famous in the 80s because fame now can mean you have, uh, you know, a million subscribers on YouTube. Yeah. But fame in the 80s meant like... You're actually famous. Yeah, like 20 to 100 million people are interested in your yeah. work. Yeah, like, dude, you know, again, it's like, I can go to the grocery store and nobody knows who the fuck I am. Right. Stephen King, back in this time period, right. could not go to the fucking grocery store. That's real famous. To me, like, not going to the grocery store famous, that's really famous. That is really famous, where you have to pay someone to go to the grocery store because you're too famous to go to the fucking grocery store. <laughs> and I bet that's not even fun. I like going to the grocery store. Right. I wouldn't want to tell other people, like, hey, go pick out limes for me. Hey, like, man, you I'll tell you what. with your fucking dry-ass limes? I, I, would, I would agree with you, except for the fact that we did just get some groceries delivered this morning. How was it? fucking great they picked the right ones huh? yeah dude i mean right. usually that's that's kind of what we do anymore, oh, that's a good so point. the people that work in the produce section would know right yeah. you yeah. would think but we get groceries delivered and i gotta tell you pretty, pretty dope fucking great yeah i don't really mind it at all <laughs> <laughs> now one thing about this movie that i really like too is through this whole discourse of um paul and annie interacting and stuff mm-hmm. you get these little inklings about what her past and private life are like yeah but it never explicitly says. Like she just drops a few lines in there where you're like, yeah. "What?" And like then we, she she has that one part where she's like, "Oh, sometimes my my thoughts are all scrambled up." That like that time I was on the witness stand and blah blah Denver, blah. Yeah, like, yeah. Wait, what? Yeah, and then we get the Stephen King trope of the scrapbook, the ever present <laughs> yeah. scrapbook. Golly, yeah. go go and with what you that's know. That's in the book too. It's not it's not just a movie invention because Stephen in the book, King, man, again, you have all the room to do exposition. But he loves a scrapbook. Man, what's the name of that one Stephen King story that has uh, the main character is a, a guy who's a writer, a writer, right? And he He's finds set a in Maine. he finds a scrapbook. And he finds uh, a scrapbook. Yeah. God, which one is that? All of them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's always the ever ubiquitous Kevin uh, Stephen Kevin Sting. He's Kevin called Sting. Kevin Sting. Stephen King scrapbook that's in like all of these. And in this, again, you get little glimpses of yeah. what her past is like but it doesn't out and out tell you or yeah, give you like, like flashbacks well, she saved these so she must have been involved but yeah all of these are so like all over the place she's killing babies she's killing neighbors she's killing all over yeah, like other like, interns in that medical yeah. program and then there's also like maybe she's feeding them to them pigs yeah seems like that it's might not be. i really mean explicitly stated stephen king's original ending of the novel was supposed to be her feeding him to the pigs and using his skin to bind jesus the book that he christ wrote. whoa that's grim I, that is Woo. grim but the actual ending he went with was I think a little bit grimmer somewhat considering what we know about Paul throughout in in the end of the novel he publishes that final mystery or uh, misery novel Oh, he publishes the novel that he was forced to write by the woman who, in the book, chops off one of his feet. Oh God! And also cuts off a thumb. Holy shit! Uh, so he he actually releases that book, whereas in in this in the movie he ends up releasing something that's about his experience. So the ending of the novel is him realizing that even though he's gone through this trauma, he can't escape 
being the misery book guy. Whoa. God and, damn, and, that is grim. Yeah, whereas in the movie, there's a kind of a, a good ending where it's like he's moved on and he's gotten to deal with I'll the use trauma that happened creatively to him. Yeah. And stuff. Yeah. So you're saying in the book, he's just like, well, guess I'll just still put this out. I'm chained yep. to it. Just chained Ugh. to it. It's part of me and she's a part of me. Yeah. How brutal is it too, man? Again, going back to the fans and their their artists and the things that fans make their artists do because it's what they want out of them. Mm-hmm. Dude, during that last fight scene when he is like choking her with the burnt up pages of what <laughs> yeah. she made him he write. Says, and he's like, choke on it, you eat sick Eat it fuck. till you choke, you sick, twisted fuck. Good God, so, man. Uh, apparently Rob Reiner doesn't really know how to choreograph a fight. So a lot of that is, uh, is them improvising a fight. Really? It should be noted that James Caan and Kathy Bates did not get along because <laughs> Kathy Bates comes from a theater tradition where they do a lot of rehearsal. Oh, you rehearse it, yeah. And he doesn't like doing that. He only likes seeing his lines the day that, that he's going to be delivering them and only likes to well, deliver them which the isn't one to two irrational, times. considering no, that Hollywood a, movie I, scripts are being rewritten every day. Yes, it's a smart acting thing to do, too, because, you know, as the character, as a person, person it would be coming to them as they were saying it so to to get the lines almost immediately before you say them is a little more natural maybe right yeah rather having it floating around in your head after you've rehearsed it so they were already having you know some issues with each other and they really razzled it out they it's it's aggressive it's a great fight scene because it's very believable too man whoa i didn't realize that because we were watching that fight scene last night and kate and i were both just like Man, this is like a great fight scene. Mm-hmm. It's really raw, and it mm-hmm. really feels like two people like struggling for their fucking yeah. lives. Doesn't have that choreographed no. kind of look about it. Feel, it. it feels dirty. <laughs> yeah, yeah <laughs> man. Like that. Gosh, that is wild. That's intense, man. What did you think of the very ending ending? I thought it was kind of abrupt. Yeah. Like, he's just there, and he sees the waitress that looks like Cassie yeah. Bates, and she's like, oh, I'm a big fan. He's like, that's nice, and then it's credits. Like, I thought it, but you know, yeah. it's kind of the Stephen King tradition, isn't it? Yeah, not 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 a great ending. Uh, in yeah, I I would say. I I think the in the book relies more on the ending being that he published that that novel, That's so grim. it's kind of like the reader is left to deal with that. Yeah. Whereas the movie, yeah, the ending is more eh, just like a poof, like a, totally. a dusty fart at the end. Yeah, like this is what <laughs> happened to him. It's very abrupt. It's like yeah. fight scene. Holy shit! Now I'm having lunch with my uh, 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 with editor, or whatever. Yeah, with Lauren Bacall, yeah. <laughs> my publisher, and yeah. I see somebody, and I think it's her, and it's not. Like it's kind of underdeveloped at the very end. Yeah. So it seems like it came to a screeching halt to me. I, oh, I think we should mention Lauren Bacall's in this. Yeah. I mean, fucking Big Sleep, How to Marry a Millionaire, Murder on the Orient Express, Married to Humphrey Bogart. Maybe you heard of her? No kidding. Yeah. But yeah, in a very pretty pretty minor role in minor this movie. Minor role, honestly. yeah. This is a little bit later but in her life. But a movie star. But the thing is that uh, the guy who plays Buster, uh, the lady who plays Virginia, and Lauren Bacall, all older actors that were more like established in in the industry. Uh, Richard Farnsworth, who plays Buster, was mostly a stunt man. Most no kidding. Of his life. Yeah. He mostly like, looks like my dad in real life. Does he? By the way, my dad awesome. looks so much like that guy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, uh he was a stuntman and and like background actor a lot. Like he's in a wow. ton of movies, but like you like he's in the 10 commandments, he's in uh 
Spartacus. He's in oh, all no sorts shit. of stuff, but like not as a leading role. So Richard Farnsworth, fucking awesome as Buster. Francis Sternhagen as Virginia. God, dude, I'm telling you, she's they're my so, favorite part of the movie. Yeah, I want like a remake of this movie that's just their perspective on what's going on. Yeah, and it's mostly just a bunch of like <laughs> small marital jabs and conflicts and yeah. just normal everyday stuff. And then at the end, he dies. Like, yeah. I want to see that movie. Aww, like, that's that, so that's sad. A, but it, wouldn't that be a that's perfect a Coen Brothers movie? That's, that's a, a Coen Brothers Western. movie. Yeah, yeah it'd it's be totally perfect. Great. Uh, Francis Sternhagen has been in a movie we've done before. No shit, The Mist. She was one of the old ladies. It no was one kidding. of her later roles. She was yeah. also Cliff Clavin's uh, mother on Cheers, in case you... Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> Way back. That's pretty awesome, man. But yeah, the, so they, there were some older actors in this, and James Caan, who's well-established, the only person they were really taking the gamble on was Kathy Bates, and she's the one who shines the most. Like, oh, yeah. It, it was pretty fucking brilliant casting. No kidding, yeah. man. And we've not even really talked about James Caan and his performance. Oh, yeah, he does a great job. He's, he's great. Stephen King, this, as far as I read, wasn't a huge fan of it. Really? Yeah. How is his character in this different than the character in the book? Because well, that's what I was going to say. I don't know why Stephen King guy. wasn't a huge fan of it, because it, it seems like a pretty good... I think, okay... In the book, there's more anger from the beginning. Like, he sort of slowly learns to placate her, whereas James Conn's He's kind of onto more immediately. onto it immediately. But that, again, that's not James Conn's fault. Uh, yeah, I, I, I think James Conn did a great job in this. Yeah, I think so, too, because you can see him putting the pieces together of how to work the situation mm-hmm. and the danger he's in. But at the same time, especially with this being like a Stephen King book, it would have been so easy for him to be another alcoholic, druggy, asshole, unlikable yeah. Yeah. author character. Right. Like he's had in so many of his other books and stuff. Yeah. But instead, they gave us this guy that's just like, well, he's just a guy that writes stories, and this is kind of his job, and he's an average dude. He doesn't have any horrible habits. He smokes no. a cigarette and drinks a glass of champagne, whatever he's done with his books every time. Yeah. So Otherwise, he seems pretty well put together, like not exactly a unlikable or unrelatable dude for a lot of people yeah he and maybe that is why stephen king didn't like him because the author in the book is he's relatable but he he's also like he's like most anyone would be yeah incredulous that someone has kidnapped him (laughs) like (laughs) like unhappy about the situation and like the the dom perignan thing makes more sense say from a book perspective because early on like he corrects her on something like small oh and, and she probably that's doesn't what like, like switches her early like he starts seeing like don't correct her. and like you know the typing paper thing that uh-huh. was like a big issue like so like he starts slowly learning like don't correct her like go along with whatever she says just try to make the best of it whereas yeah in the movie he seems to catch on to it quickly and there's not as much conflict, but I think the movie portrays enough conflict that oh it, yeah, like I think the movie does a good job of like narrowing it down. Yeah, to and, like and pacing it well scenes. too. Yeah, because yeah. like I forgot how early on in the movie he gets abducted and is yeah. like in the bed with his legs all fucked up. And yeah, shattered the, and his the, arm broken. The novel starts there. That's the novel crazy. doesn't even have the crash really. It's like we we're told that it happened, mm-hmm. but like. He's already in the bed by the time it's happened. Yeah. yeah, and that also, too, had to be a very difficult role for him to play. I mean, we've talked yeah. all about Kathy Bates, but, like, dude, this guy is, like, 
in, in bed. pain, uh-huh. in bed, laid up so in a bad way. Be, Jake Most Sean of, has to be movie. pretending not to move his legs. They He was in bed for the majority of 15 weeks of shooting. Holy fuck, that and is a lot. When he wasn't in bed, he was either in the wheelchair having to try to get through narrow passages or crawling on his elbows. Yeah, literally crawling. Yeah. And usually having so his legs... So you can see why like, some of the guys may have also rejected this. Like, okay, I'm not even the awful. star of the movie and I gotta do all that shit. Not interested. Maybe not. Yeah. But yeah, that had to be a really tough role and it's very believable too. Like, those scenes, dude, where he like when he falls out of bed and his legs are all fucked up. Ugh. Dude, shit hurts to watch. Oh, There's God. so much stuff in this movie that really fucking hurts to watch. That's not even the hobbling scene. Yeah. Which, by the way, dude, when that foot turns oh. over, holy shit, there it are, is wildly believable. There aren't a lot of effects in this, but the ones there are are good and yeah, effective. I, I agree, man. Yeah. And I think, too, just like the way that they did the bruising and like the capillaries uh-huh. on his legs and yeah. stuff that are so fucked up. <sighs> It's so believable. Yeah. And then also, too, like, even at the end there, during that fight scene, and Kathy Bates' face has ended up all bloody and beat up mm-hmm. and stuff, it looks so rugged and it so does. fucking real. And the, the shot gun through the chest. Great effect. Yeah. Uh, it, it's a very Dick Halloran oh, moment. Oh, yeah, like, yeah. He made that, it all the way there yeah. and then toast. She does, she does kill a young police officer by running him over with a lawnmower. Yeah, uh, that that's not in the movie. <laughs> I kind of I know why they cut that and made it instead. Buster getting shot through the chest. It, it works better dramatically and sets up the ending better. Yeah. Uh, but I I do because like that I think Sleepaway Camp three has uh a woman get her head run over by a lawnmower and I just <laughs> loved it so much. Oh yeah. That I kind of just want to see it. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Yeah, that's a ga- that's a gag you always want to see yeah. on screen. But yeah, that would have been like grossly way too brutal. Yeah. For the and rest just kind of kinda silly and over the top yeah. for this movie. This nothing is very over the grounded. top happens yeah. here. You know, it's really nothing that is overly ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Uh, and probably if they would have done the cutting the foot off and cutting his thumbs off yeah, or whatever, it might have been, gotten a little uh-huh. over the top. Yeah. I, I think any time you can avoid, like, this is something that Robert Kirkman has said about The Walking Dead was he regretted cutting off Rick's hand in the comic book. And so they didn't end up doing it in the oh, show. Okay. Because it's actually, like, you know, it's something you think of as, like, that'll be a good, like, ending to this issue. But then now you have to deal with the fact he only has one hand like so uh, like actually cutting off his foot would have made it so unlikely that he could have actually escaped he would have been in so much pain yeah, and just yeah. like maybe even died like the hobbling itself i would imagine could have possibly killed him Dude, just the shock the shock of, of yeah. that yeah and, and again he plays that very well too we're like by the time she smashes both of his feet yeah. He's like screamed in agony for a few seconds and then he's just almost catatonic. Yeah. It's very believable. And dude, like, there just seems to be such real weight to that sledgehammer oh. when she swings that thing around. There's something about that pain that is like somehow more believable as a viewer than mm-hmm. seeing something get amputated. Yeah. That's almost like, oh my God, that could never happen to me. Nobody would ever cut my foot off. But like seeing somebody get hit with dude. a hammer, everybody's hit their thumb with a hammer. Dude, that- It's relatable. That you know? has fucked me up since I was a kid. Like I remember after that as a kid, like say we'd go to jump on the trampoline and like 
I, that if ankle I hit rolls my over. ankle or yeah. something or roll my ankle, I'd be like, no, like not the, that my brain would just yeah. be like, fuck no. Yeah. Yeah. It really makes you think about yeah. that. Yeah. It's, it's the kind of violence that really sticks with you. Yeah. And it's crazy too, because like the actual shot of her hitting the foot is like, man, it's a quarter of a second. Yeah. If, and they don't quick. even, they don't even show the second they foot. They don't even show the second foot. They, they show, show the her swing up. It. And I like the way she swings it, where it looks like somebody who hasn't swung a sledgehammer much. Yeah, yeah. Like, I like that instead of having her, like, train on it, it looks like somebody who doesn't exactly... Because she doesn't hobble people regularly, I would imagine. Yeah. Yeah. Man, it's so believable and and so gruesome. So I like that even though the effects in this are very minimal, it makes them more memorable whenever you see them. It really sticks out in your mind whenever something intense happens. But, I mean, that's... So many of yeah, our I'm favorite thinking about movies. It. it really is just like the four things. It's the shot of the legs. It's the uh, the shotgun, the sledgehammer, the shotgun through the chest, and the the fight at the end with the blood on the face. Yeah. Like those are the only effects. Yeah, basically. and they're so well done. Like you can you can create a movie that leaves behind uh, this fear of ankle injury in Little Steven without going over the top with the gore and effects right yeah just the implication totally and the noise like this has that, that sound that, that same thing that texas chainsaw does where you, yeah you remember it being a lot more grisly than it is yeah and you watch it and you're like you know your toes are curling and you're curling yeah. up into a ball on the couch watching this stuff happen but you're but barely seeing anything barely seeing anything yeah. really it just seems so real and so gruesome mm-hmm. and you're so wrapped up in that environment because you've been stuck in that little room with him yeah for like an hour and a half at that point Oof. you know Oh, it's so good, man. Yeah. And the soundtrack, I think, does a good job of carrying that along. Yeah. I'm not going to say it's like a hyper-memorable, like, wow, you remember that theme from Misery kind yeah. of soundtrack. A lot of it is like classical pieces and fucking uh, Liberace. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, the guy the guy who did the, the music for this, he's done a lot of stuff, but m- most recently, the thing that might be memorable to people, this was over a decade ago, but Prop 8, the musical... Oh yeah, that was on Funny what? or Die. He wrote, he wrote that. Yeah, holy cow, yeah. that's awesome. But he, he's done a bunch of stuff. Also, cinematography on this is by Barry Sonnenfeld, who oh, would go guy. on the next year to direct Adam's Family. Holy moly, really? He had been the Coen Brothers uh, cinematographer yeah. a bunch before that. So the Coen Brothers connections are all over. They're actually there, yeah. huh? Uh-huh. Wow, that's funny, man. Yeah. So this movie very effective. Very and suspenseful. Also very, very simple. It is. Like in the way it develops its suspense. Like we get to know her basically as a creature, like her, uh, her insanity as this creature. So we know to expect certain things, which is what builds the suspense and the tension. We know that if anything out of the ordinary happens, she's going to snap. Yeah. Yeah. So when we see that like coming, we know something crazy is going to happen, but it's going to get crazier each time. Like she gets crazier and crazier and crazier. It builds very naturally too. And that's the thing as well is like how you were saying the book really just takes place from his perspective in the room. But in the movie we get, okay, she went down to town to get a bag of feed or whatever. Mm -hmm. Okay. She's coming back. Meanwhile, he's trying to like break out of the room and stuff. We, as the viewer have this, this bird's eye view to what all is going on. We're like, holy shit. He doesn't know she's pulling up Right. right now. 
oh, and it builds a lot of suspense and tension. Uh, Whereas, I guess in the book, you're just like, he never knows when she's going to oh, be back. Oh, it's a constant suspense. Yeah, because yeah. it's like, oh, she could just come in the door right now. Yeah, but I think yeah. with us having the more scoped out view of us knowing where she is yeah. at the time, it makes us more involved in it. We're like, yes. dude, get back to the room. Yeah. You know, it's yeah. very fucking suspenseful, this entire movie, because you just sure. know that everything could go to shit so soon. But, dude, I think the most suspenseful part of this movie actually peaks pretty early. When he is driving that fucking rear-wheel drive Mustang down those snow-covered <laughs> roads on that mountain with Jesus. no guardrail, there's uh, not even tire tracks in no. the snow. Holy fuck. That stunt driver's got some balls. Balls of brass, yeah. dude. I was watching that, and I was just like, there's no way in fucking hell you yeah. can pay me to do that. Drive an old Mustang yeah. that doesn't even, even have a fucking power steering or anti-light no. brakes or nothing. <laughs> rear-wheel it's drive. It's 65. It's old. pure horsepower. <laughs> yeah. Down snow and ice-covered roads down a mountain. Uh-huh. You gotta be fucking kidding me. I was nervous as shit watching that. Yeah. It's like when he wrecked, I was like, well, what the fuck do you expect? If you've, if you've never driven a rear-wheel drive vehicle on just on a, anything. On a dry road. <laughs> over a banana peel. Over a banana peel you could spin out yeah. if you just press the gas too hard. Yeah. Man, I would have just stayed up in that motherfucking lodge. Yeah. Until everything thawed out a little bit. Seriously. What was the rush, buddy? Oh, you gotta get back to New York. Ooh, nothing happens unless you're in New York. City of dreams. <laughs> where the story happens. I gotta yeah. get back there. <laughs> it's, where the st- it's in the script. What if he said that? <laughs> but I found it a very suspenseful movie. I mean, even so much more than other flicks where there is blood and gore and monsters and yeah. suspense in every corner. Like... How ordinary this all was and how believable yes. the situation was yeah. is what made it so brutally uh-huh. creepy and uh, gripping to me. Yeah, I think I tend to find movies that deal with the ordinary, uh, horror movies that deal with the ordinary to be more horrific. Oh, yeah. To have more of an impact on me over time. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Where I will so. think back to them and be like, Ugh. Yeah, because you watch it and you're like, this could actually happen. There's nothing in this movie that is unbelievable. No. There's never anything in this that you're like, oh, that would never happen. Yeah. This could absolutely, absolutely. happen. Absolutely. Has probably happened at some oh, point. Oh, that's scary. Yeah. Yeah, really so, fucking scary. Let's get to the conclusion, Ben. Get down that nitty gritty. Uh, I think that this movie is well done. I think it's a good adaptation of a Stephen King book that does uh, what you need to do with a lot of Stephen King stuff, which is turn it into a movie. Yeah. You sometimes will have to drop some things and have to change some things because his books are focusing real deep on psychology and specifically into that character and and, and all those different things. So... You want to be able to tell an, a single uh, story that people can really connect to in movie form, and this does a good job of very well. translating that novel. So, Rob Reiner, meathead, you did it! Like <laughs> you finally got it. Yeah, he he's he was a comedy director before this. He Harry Met Sally, I guess, had some seriousness to it, but it was mostly just comedy. Yeah, yeah a like, levity. Yeah. This this was ultra serious, and while there's some dark humor to it, it's mostly just serious. And he he nailed that. Kathy Bates is great. James Caan's great. Everybody in this does a good. Nobody job. blows it. Nobody. Everybody's performance is fucking great. I mean, granted, there's like five, five people, people in yeah. this movie. <laughs> yeah. So this movie for me is 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 a great example of 
how simple a horror movie can be. Yeah, and, totally. And I like to see that play out. So uh, I would say this is probably like an, an eight to an yeah. eight and a half for me. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm right there with you, man. And you know, another thing that this movie does really well that they should do with more Stephen King adaptations it doesn't feature a badly acting Stephen King in it. <laughs> he doesn't come in at all. I yeah, kept waiting. I didn't think about that. Like, he could have been that shop owner that right. Buster goes and talks to, and he's like, well, yeah. she's been buying paper or whatever. Yeah. He could have been right there running that they shop. He could have been. He said, Steve, nope. sit this one out, bud. Please. <laughs> yeah. And the movie's better for it, I yeah. think. <laughs> Although I'll never complain about Stephen King as Jordy Vale. That's true. Ever. He was great as Jordy Vale. Exactly. That's, that's he was born to play goofy that role. Face. So good, man. Yeah, I'm with you, man. I think uh, I think I want to read this book now. You mm-hmm. said it's pretty short too, right? It is pretty short. Yeah. So there's no I reason got to it pretty to. quick. Yeah. yeah. So I definitely need to read the book. I think it'll broaden my appreciation for this. And, and like I said, it means a lot to me that this movie can take on different meanings for you depending on where you are in life and yeah. what your role is. Like, are you a fan or are you an artist? Yeah. If you're a fan, maybe it looks like a plan. Yeah. Yeah, like, oh, <laughs> it's like, oh I, can I can do, do that. that. Yeah. <laughs> I see where she blew it right here and here and here. <laughs> yeah, don't do that, obviously. <laughs> when I kidnap my artist, that's what I'm going to do. But it's cool to me to watch this movie at different phases in my life and for it to mean different things. Even things that he didn't intend for it to be about necessarily, yeah. you know? But also looking at it through the lens of, yeah, this is a story about addiction and the vicious role that our addictions as creators can play in the entire creative process Mm -hmm. when your addiction becomes an outside influence on the process and on the product Mm -hmm. what it can do to that final product you know Uh, i really like that perspective as well so this is one of the best stephen king movies yeah period like i know yeah as far as like people always talk about of course obviously the shining and carrie and stuff but man this is you kind of forget that this is even a Stephen King thing. Like That's I, true. The first time that I yeah. watched it, I don't think I knew it was a Stephen King story. It doesn't have... Yeah, you don't need that Stephen King connection to to like it. Right. Like, knowing it's Stephen King's like, oh, that's even cooler. Like, he was able to step outside of his comfort zone and create something that's a, a simple story. Yeah. In comparison to, say, it, which sprawls everywhere. Uh, and goes into such crazy directions that is in no way relatable. Right. Yeah. You know, uh, this is really, really great. And again, just a reminder that we should let good, solid directors make horror movies. Yes. Don't just let guys who will only make horror movies do this. Let right. our big name people that know how to work a camera and work yeah. a script, they let might, them make something scary. They might bring something new to the table, something that people haven't considered. Yeah. Some new way of uh, showing a scene or a moment that, that really will capture it in a way that fucks with us for the rest of our lives say the hobbling scene oh god man. Yeah. yes i'm right there with you i think i'm gonna give this thing a i think i'm gonna say an eight and a half all right just an eight and a half overall man really really great flick and i'm sure we're gonna like this movie better than the one that we're doing next week yeah hot take unpopular yeah. opinion well, probably we coming already up. know this yeah yeah mm. A Quiet Place. We're going to be talking about A Quiet Place. We got that sequel coming out, which yeah. I am not revved up to see. No, but I like Killian Murphy. He's oh, he's in it? In it? Yeah. Oh, I do like him. And I like Emily Blunt. I, oh, I'm, she's great. I think she was great in A Quiet Place, so uh, I, I'm interested in, in the very least in trying to find good in this, because yeah. I, it wasn't a movie that I liked very no. much. No. Yeah. Maybe if we have time that we can both line up and catch a matinee. Maybe we'll do a mini-sode on Maybe. it or something, but yeah. we'll, we'll just see how the week works out. Yeah. We're definitely doing a quiet place here on the show next week, so be sure to tune in to that. 
In the meanwhile, if you've enjoyed this episode or any other episode of the show, be sure to go on iTunes, rate and review. And at the end of your review, write us a question about anything that you want to hear us answer on Ay, the pregunta. show. Oh, oh, una pregunta. <laughs> and we'll answer that on a later FAQ that we'll do during a preview palace sometime. So be sure to rate and review, leave a question on iTunes. And we will answer that on a later episode. Steve, can they follow us on social media? Uh, Do we social at media? Dead at Dead Lovely Pod on Twitter and Instagram. That's right. And we're all over the place. Uh, we're on YouTube uh, forward slash Dead and Lovely. Mm-hmm. Uh, Facebook.com forward slash Dead and Lovely. We're on Dis- Dick Sword. Dick Sword, it's called. Uh-huh. We're also on. Patreon. Patreon.com forward slash dead and lovely. That's a good place to go. Hell yeah. Head on over there. We got we got a few tiers over there. If you become a five dollar tier uh Patreon patron, then you can submit a movie title. We do a drawing each month and we cover whatever we pull out of there. Even if we've never even heard of it. Yeah, we've had a couple of them. Sometimes they're great little surprises. Sometimes they're great. So uh we'll be doing that. Uh we we do our Patreon. The picks the fourth episode of each month. So that's that, right. That's coming up. It's coming on up. Mm-hmm. So we'll be doing one of those soon. So yeah, if you join up at that $5 level, you get to submit one you want to hear on the show. But be sure to head on over to that Patreon page. Check it out. Help support the show. We really appreciate it a ton. Well, you guys have been absolutely fantastic. We've been dead and lovely, and we'll be seeing you guys next week talking about that old quiet place. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Thanks for tuning in. See you guys next time. Bye. Bye. Right, Steve, I want to throw you in the Wayback Machine and take you way back to when we were kinder Let's kids. do it, Mr. Peabody. Do you remember how you always had that friend that claimed to know what the lyrics to Informer by Snow were about and I what he was ha- saying? I ha- uh, let me tell you this right now. I had a <laughs> friend him? who did know them. <laughs> and he people know who he is. No. He's been on X Factor. No kidding. Because yeah. here's the thing. It's like I always remember hanging around other kids like in the neighborhood and shit. Yeah. And they would really claim to know what but was going on not. with that song. Because no, no, no. it's all in this bizarre Jamaican slang uh-huh. sung by a white Canadian guy. <laughs> right. Snow was Canadian. <laughs> Myself and Matt Menifee from The Hit Points, uh, we had been up for about 24 hours at this point because we had a really early flight and stuff uh-huh. uh, coming out of Minneapolis. Mm-hmm. So we were sitting in the lobby. I put up a little uh, video of this on my Instagram the other day, so you got to see some of this. But we decided to sit down and be like, well, what is this about exactly and mm-hmm. what are the words because this has got to be like the most popular song ever written where nobody knows any of the fucking words me no me son me gonna blame <laughs> well, that's the thing is like dude you get to the chorus informer you know say daddy me snow me i go blame a licky boom boom down a licky boom boom down detective mana say say daddy me snow me stab someone down the lame a licky boom boom down <laughs> Those are our words. Also, I'm pretty Canada. sure. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> also, I think I'm pretty sure now that, like, given that it seems to be about a song about someone ratting somebody out and going to prison or whatever. Yeah. You think the Licky Boom Boom Down's about tossing some salad? I would assume. I assume that's what he's talking about, right? A little shake, rattle, and roll. A little hot legging. <laughs> a little hot legging. A little jailhouse rock. Yeah. A little Licky Boom Boom Down. Hell yeah. That's what it's all about. <laughs> <laughs>